Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Tuesday, and it's the last day of January, the 31st. We are here live. It's a Tuesday. That means it's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them. We're also being joined today by David Counts from Fleet Air Filter. We'll hear from him. And then, of course, we'll get to your calls and questions. The phone lines will get busy. They always do. So line them up, 855-950-3835. We're going to jump right in and get started. Bruce, you're first up. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Kevin. As always, it's our pleasure. Um, the building that I'm in uh, suffered from the hurricane, and they may be setting off the fire alarm. If they do, I'll hang up and call back when it's over. <laughs> okay. But anyway. Hey, <laughs> hey, Bruce, one of the uh, things you can do if uh, you just want to continue to listen and not have to dial back, just hit mute on your phone. Yeah, okay. And then you can just sit and listen and you just... That keep muting and unmuting okay. yourself if you need to. Okay. All right. So our good friend Al Hemerson bought a new Volvo, and he decided because it's been so cold this winter, I don't know uh, about global warming, but it's been a cold winter for a lot of people. So he put a winter front on it. And he was amazed at the difference. Let me bring up his message and read what he had to say about what the winter front did. I should have had this up here. He said, per your inputs and thoughts, we purchased and installed a winter front. It works exactly the way you described and as we all have experienced in the past, just like a flood of cold water. It stops that flood of cold air. The truck is smoother and maintains a much more constant water temperature. Although there are naysayers, that question is validity. So, so you know what would be interesting here? We've, we've kind of just completely gotten away from winter fronts because we don't really need them the way we used to. We used to do it purely because you were so damn cold you couldn't drive. You had to to get a little bit of heat out of the truck. Mm-hmm. But if, if, if what Al's saying might make sense, well, maybe we don't need them for heat in the truck, but maybe they will help these engines stay warmer consistently. We know that's good for the emissions. If they're running better, are we ever really stressing out that cooling system. I mean, wouldn't a a hundred degree day put a whole lot more stress on the cooling system than putting a winter front on when it's, you know, 10 degrees outside? 10 degrees or 10 below. Right. Uh, In Bear Lake, Utah yesterday, they hit minus 63. Maybe this is a good idea. Maybe we should kind of figure out at what temperature does it make sense to start doing this? And we had one of our catalyst dealers call us today. He's got the ISX 2012, and it's 14 below where he is. You know, if you should ask Al, um, how often does his fan come on? Uh, maybe I'll call in. Yeah. And because I know he he's one of the most loyal listeners. 
But whenever years ago when Charge Air Corps first appeared, the engineers were concerned about thermal shock to the pistons because pistons back then were still aluminum. And they were concerned that in the wintertime, the air would be too cold going into the combustion chamber. And I can tell you, when it's cold and you're driving across Wyoming and you see that white steam coming out the stacks, that's telling you the air going in is too cold. Yeah. It's probably not white. steam. It's not steam. It's actually unburnt fuel, but it's we, white. We might be on to something here. There, there might be a reason to bring these back. Yeah, I've been talking about it for several years. We talk about cardboard, and that was the easy, quick fix, and usually you're around docks, so you can Mm -hmm. always find a piece of cardboard to cut up. But I had some trucks with some really nice custom winter fronts with snaps, like vinyl, had the yep. you know the truck logo and everything on them, and you you snapped it on, and then you could even fold little pieces of it back, like you it had. That's right. It connected in the middle and then all around the sides, and you could take the middle and start to unsnap it and fold the corners back, so you could kind of customize how much air you were letting through. That's right. And don't buy the one with the teeth. I don't like that sharp <laughs> teeth looking at it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, I just wanted to mention that, and hopefully Al will call in and tell us more about it. The Line Shack Lodge, where we're having the owner-operator snowmobile conference the first four days of March, is filling up. So if you think you want to go, we're down to a few rooms. So Kathy has the phone number. Mike Lane has the phone number. Josh from Turnaround Transport. Or you can just Google Line Shack Lodge in Dubois, Wyoming. So, my main subject for today, I've got two owner-operators buying newer trucks, 2012 and newer, Kenworth and Pete's. And we've been looking at a lot of trucks, and the prices have come down, and the prices look pretty good right now. And what we're talking about is after they buy the truck, uh, some people reluctant to some truck dealers to let them have the truck to bring it to the shop so we can check it out. But if you do buy it, we say make an appointment, bring it in. Let's do the Hawkeye report. Uh, the owner and Adam will be on creepers and go all over the truck and he'll list everything that he finds. And then if it's a go, we put a new damper and balancer on it. We do the diesel force cleaning and then we clean the DPF, uh, the engineering department checks all the sensors and the emissions. We set the overhead, install the fleet air filter, the OPS, the past. If, if money allows to do all this, and if money further allows, then we do the intake and exhaust manifold and put a pyrometer in the manifold on a hot side and put a mechanical boost gauge in the truck. And now you're ready to truck. Bruce, I'm going to, I'm going to, make a little uh, stronger statement about that because I love that whole program. That's an awesome way to do it. A couple things. One, I say all the time I don't like to make predictions because I don't like being wrong. Um, But I made a prediction a year or so ago and I talked a lot of people out of buying trucks, used trucks. I said, if you buy a used truck right now, you're insane. Uh, In 30 years, I've never said this. I've never said you shouldn't go buy a truck that, you know, there's, it's always a good time to get into business except the last year. (laughs) 
And that's the first time I've said that. I've said, you, you have to wait. These prices are insane. They are going to come down. Give it six months. We might even find the bottom of these prices in about a year. I don't think we're at the bottom yet. But they're, they're back to being reasonable enough that we could buy a truck now. But I would go further to say, if you follow the plan in, in the, the course I have about how to get started, Bruce, when you say if the money's there, I would go far enough to say you shouldn't be buying this truck and getting into business if the money isn't there to do this stuff. Just make that part of your plan. Just don't put a truck on the road until you do this. And if you can't afford to do it, then you can't afford to start. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, you know, some of this stuff can be added as as we go. It, it so. can be, but think about all of, now. All of these things we have proven over and over and over, they save money. There's no doubt about these things anymore. We're not really arguing whether they really work. We know they do. And if you know that and you're putting the truck on the road, you have to look at it and go, if I have to wait six months to be able to do this, look at how much money I miss out on. So why not? We know all of this stuff. Why not just save up enough money to do it right? Or borrow? No, you don't want to do that, right? You know, I, I, I'm not a. I don't. I don't have a problem with borrowing money to get a business started. If you've got a good plan, but if you're borrowing everything because you have nothing to get started, then no, that's a mistake. But if you've got a good plan and you buy the truck and you put a, a reasonable down payment on it, and then you say, "Look, if, if I borrow a little more, sure, it's going to cost me some interest, but look at the savings." And the savings will outweigh that little bit of interest. So, sure, if we need to finance a little bit of this and you've got a good plan, then I'm okay with that. 46 years ago, my dad took me into the banker so I could get started in this business. And I borrowed $3,500 and the banker looked across at me. I was 27 years old. He said, how are you going to pay this back? I said, I'm going to work on trucks. Yeah. That's how and that I works. Knew, I knew how to move. I knew how to move freight at that time. <laughs> right. I didn't know how to work on these engines. <laughs> yeah. Well, you figured it out. You figured it out. You know, one of my favorite sayings, it's just how I like to do things. I like to jump off the cliff and build my parachute on the way down. Yeah. Oh, I've done that too many times. I, at, at my age now, I don't yeah. want to, but I still do. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All right. I, I went through that list kind of fast. Uh, I'm going to try to slow it down now. All right. Here's another one. If you live in cold country, build yourself a pole barn, some type of garage to put your truck in. If you can heat the floor, the the truck will thank you. Your body will thank you. Your truck will live many years longer. You'll enjoy it. If you're not mechanically inclined, you'll learn how to work on it. But have a garage if you're in cold country. It just it makes such a difference in in the quality of your truck. That's a great point. And, and now, bef before we move on from that point, 
I'm going to tell people, if you're going to do this, we need to do some planning. People always think, and they'll ask me if I put a building on my property, can I deduct it for taxes? Yes, you can. You're going to be shocked at how small the deduction is. They make us depreciate it over a very long period of time. You don't get to depreciate anything for the land, the cost of the land you built it on. So it's you spend a lot of money to get that building up, and you don't get much of a tax deduction at all. But there is a way that you can get a really good tax deduction if you do this right. And I'm not going to get into all the details. You, your tax preparer has to help you with this, but it's called a, a corporate leaseback. So what we're going to do is we're going to form a corporation. If you already have one, great. If you don't, we're going to form a corporation. You are going to buy the land personally, or, or if you already own it, that's fine. You are going to build the building personally, so you personally own that building. You're going to then lease it to your corporation, and the corporation gets to deduct the lease payments completely. And we get a much, much bigger tax deduction much quicker by doing that. And, and if you're going to take the time to build the building, let's do it right. When we built our new shop, it's a 39-year depreciation. Yeah, I thought that's really nice. I won't even I won't even be alive in 39 exactly. Years. I I I don't have to. You know, I have to spend the money now. Why do I have to wait 39 years to get my tax deduction for it? Because that's all our crooked politicians, their main focus in life is how to get more money out of working Americans. Yeah. Everything else is up the side. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're selling a lot of big cam fuel pumps, injectors, turbos, and I'm helping two people right now. They've never installed injectors in a big cam. I'm talking them through it. And there's a lot of little steps, and I'm not going to go through it on the radio show. But what I tell people, if you are a client of ours and we supply you the parts, you get unlimited time from Pete, myself, Eric, Brian, our shop foreman. Uh, you can call and call. And whenever you, we do pumping injectors for you. We want you to call. We want you to have questions. Where do you put the fuel inlet screen? What do you torque the hold down bolts to? How do you clean out the injector tube? And I'm going to talk about that one right now because I just a uh, half hour ago told a guy to clean the injector tube, you take a broomstick handle, cut about 18 inches off of it, take it over to your bench grinder, and you grind it to a point to match the angle of the tip of the injector. Then you put it horizontal in a vise, and you take a hacksaw, and you start at the tip, and you come back three to four inches, and you cut a wedge out of it. You take a 90-degree wedge, and then you need some lacquer thinner, and you have a shop rag. You'll wrap that shop rag around that stick, You'll dip it in lacquer thinner, and you'll go down, and you'll start to clean the carbonite. You may have to do that three or four times. But the reason for the groove is as you're turning the stick, or the broom handle, I should say, it catches the rag and turns the rag in the injector tube. So that's one part of it. All right. And you also need a zero to 
50-inch dowel-type torque wrench to put injectors in a big cam. Then all the other little steps we can talk about, such as you clean out the injector, hold down screws with Q-tips because you don't want to be torquing against oil. The Got injector it. screen goes in at 1 o'clock. If you're standing on the turbo side and you're looking across the engine to the after-cooler, the after-cooler is 12 o'clock, the turbo's at 6. You put the fuel inlet screen in at 1 o'clock. And you have to torque it down evenly, and there's ways of doing that. So it's all the little things that we can help you with. How do you inspect the little injector push rod? How do you inspect the big push rod that comes off the cam followers and the cam follower seats? You know, Bruce, if if you have one item that's worn, if you have one item that's worn, it will not hold the injector adjustment. Got it. One of the things I love about this kind of stuff is that we see a lot of maintenance problems caused by just really poor practices, nothing overly complicated, all the way down to the point where we're talking about tires. We show people how to look at the tire and make sure it got mounted on the rim properly. Come on. Do we really Mm -hmm. not know how to get a tire on the rim? And yet it happens all the time. Because, I don't know, we bring people in, we don't train them all that well, we forget to, you know, we think it's so obvious, we don't, we're not training people how to do these basic maintenance items properly. The one that makes me crazy is an overhead. Because we know if it's wrong, it can cause problems. So you ask somebody, we need to check the overhead. Oh, I had it done. But then I always wonder in my mind, was it done right? Exactly. You know, a tire, I can at least go look at it. We can show people how to look at it physically and see if it was mounted right or not. But with an overhead, we, we can't know. Once they close it back up. Yeah. All right, there's the alarm. I'll be right back. I'm going to put you on mute. Okay. All right. With that, yeah, this is... Uh, this is real radio here, the real stuff. We're not all sitting around in a studio. We're, we're out working and doing stuff. So we just have to deal with that once in a while. Let's, um, let's bring in David Counts right now. David, welcome back. Hey, Kevin, what's up today? Well, great to have you here. What's on your mind this week? Oh, just all work and no play. You know how it goes. Got well, that's a bunch of new little projects we got going on. That, that's your life, but your work kind of is your play. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I enjoy what I do, so I guess that's an upside to it. So. Well, you must with all the hours you put in. Yeah, I work an average probably, I don't know, 10, 12 hours a day. Oh, easy. Um, yeah. I, usually. I've... I, I've lived in your parking lot. I've seen it. Yeah, still the same. You know. <laughs> yeah. But I got, you know, Bruce was talking about, uh, like, how cold it is, you know, and, and the trucks running and stuff like that, and you guys running the winter fronts and all that. Well, a light bulb went off on my head. So I'm sitting here thinking, so all this cold air, what does a filter actually do when we're looking at 30 below zero or 25 below zero? 
I mean, what actually happens at that point? I mean, interesting so thought. Yeah, me thinking, me thinking. Well, if, if just say it's been snowing and or the humidity super high, and we're getting water in the filter, and you know, I mean, at that point, or the moisture's getting in the filter and it's creating water, and I mean, is the filter going to freeze at that point? I mean, do we really know the answer to that? No, I bet we don't know the answer. So, you know, years ago, I did some testing on a paper filter versus our filter, the fleet air filter. And so, and, and I've done this on a flow bench in the middle of the shop, you know, seeing what was going to happen. Well, and, and we did it strictly on moisture, you know, like what happens when it rains outside yeah. and just say on a Peterbilt with outside cans and the, and the water's getting in the filter. So... I took a squirt bottle with water, turned the flow bitch on, and I steady with the squirting water on it, just, you know, misting it on there, yeah. trying to be somewhat realistic on what goes on while you're riding down the highway. What I found out was the paper filter, which we call paper, it's not really paper, which what happens is it absorbed the water, and the filter walled off. So at that point, the being that it's walled off, the pressure goes out of sight. Yeah, a lot of restrictions. So on the flow bench. Tons of restrictions. Yeah. Well, and I was like, well, I'm going to try mine. So I did mine. I put mine on there. And yes, it did creep up, but it was nowhere near what the paper filter done. So, and that makes me think now, what happens when a filter gets wet and it freezes? That's going to be a new story. That's going to be something new to talk about. You know, here's... We're going to see if we... Here's going to be the interesting thing about this. It's not going to be across the board. Think of all the different styles now of these air boxes, these breather boxes. They squeeze them in wherever they can. We've got all kinds of weird shapes now. Every truck, what's going to have to happen is we're going to have to know what what kind of temperature do we get under that hood. Now, if we're talking about the external air cleaners, that's a whole different matter. They're going to be cold. If it's under the hood, maybe we're holding enough heat in there that it won't freeze, but that's going to be different for every truck. Right. See, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the under hood filters, I don't think they would have near the problem as the outside camera right. filters would have. But boy, those because, outside you know, the with the air blowing right on them constantly like that and no heat being trapped, it's a big difference. Absolutely. Huh. But like I say, I, everything I test is, is in the south. I mean, we, we run up north some, but, you know, when I say we run up north, we're running in, you know, maybe... 15 degree weather. Right. We're right. not running in 23 below zero. You know, and, and I mean, so as far north as we are, I'm just in a place that's really, really mild this year. Bruce was talking about how cold it's been this winter. And that's same for us. This is the first time we've been here over 10 years. This is the first time we got down to single digits ever. We, we've never even been close to single digits before we got there this year. But even that, you know, just single digits, and for us, it usually only happens for a couple hours in the morning. That's not the kind of temperatures we're worried about. You know, we're really talking about when you start going below zero, and it's going to be like that all day. 
right. I'm, I think, I mean, I can see a problem with a paper filter. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, just because it absorbs so much moisture and it walls itself off, and of course that, you know, interrelation is going to, the performance of the truck's going to become poor and et cetera, you know. All but right. Anyway, that was just something yeah. to think about, you know. I, I just had that yeah. on my mind and I was like, yeah. No, I, I love that kind of thinking. In fact, I'm going to stray a little bit and I'm going to do something different today. Um, I, I, there's a topic I've been talking about for about a month now, and I've been getting deeper and deeper into it. And I want to get, when I talk to people, I want to get them thinking about this and get their opinion. I, I think this is the next big really big shift for us in technology. You know, we've been talking a lot about autonomous vehicles and autonomous vehicles, as they happen, they're going to happen. Um, it's going to be a game changer in a lot of ways, but that technology is going to take a long time to become adopted, I think. We've already got it. It's already here. It's already happening. There are people getting pizzas delivered every day right now with autonomous vehicles. They're moving people around in places like Las Vegas. And I I mean, it's happening, but that's going to be a long transition over decades. This technology I'm talking about right now is here right now, and I think it's going to explode. And I, I, it's a little worrying in some ways, but I, it's why I want to stay on top of it. Um, you've heard of artificial intelligence, right? Absolutely. It, it's confusing. I mean, what, what does this really mean? We're really going to create a computer that can think and learn? And that's really what we're talking about. A, a, a a system, a computer, a device, that this is going to be in everything. It's going to be in your refrigerator and your appliances and your vehicles. And it's this artificial intelligence is going to be everywhere. And it's just getting started right now. There's a, a program and all the big tech companies are working on their own artificial intelligence. That's, that's the other thing we have to realize about this. When we say artificial intelligence, it is being programmed by humans. We're, we're programming computers and devices in a way that they continue to change and improve and get better. The, the, the way to look at this is, is you know, I, I've said when we talk about autonomous trucks, people say, oh, that truck would never be able to back into the dock that I have to back into. Well, that's absolutely not true. Not only can, can we absolutely, if a human can put that truck into the dock, then a computer can too. And once we program it to do it and nothing really changes, that tr- computer will do it perfectly every single time. It's just we have to keep programming these things specifically for every task. But once artificial intelligence is put into the mix, now this thing can continue to learn over time. That, that's a game changer, and, and it's scary. We have to think about this. Do we really want computers that can learn? When will they stop learning? We have to think about that. They have the capacity to crunch, you know, a, a gazillion bits of data in a half a second, something our brain will never be capable of doing. And we want to teach these things how to learn. 
it's scary. But it, it's happening, it's coming, so the best we can do is pay attention to it. But there's already an example of it. And I, I've been playing with it, and I've been watching other people. So there's something called Chat GPT. And you can, you know, do a search, it'll come up, click on it, it's free to try. And it's a website that uses artificial intelligence, and you can ask it to do things. Like you could, I could ask it to write a poem about fleet air filters, and it will. And it will write a pretty damn good poem too. You could ask it to write a TV commercial for fleet air filters, and it will probably do it. And it will probably be pretty good. It can write stories. I, artificial intelligence can write an entire book. It can write music. It can create art. It has already, they've already used this particular artificial intelligence to pass the bar exam. And, you know, a lot of people are going to think, oh, well, of course it can pass the bar exam. You just give it all the answers and then it, it will know them. No, that's not how this works. Those type of tests, nobody knows the answers because nobody even knows what the questions are going to be. They're, they're kept very secret, medical exams. This thing just keeps passing all these tests that humans have a hard time with. So it's already, you know, I, 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 there's two reasons I want to talk about this and stay on top of it. I, I don't think there have been, you know, fads or things. A couple years ago, everybody was talking about blockchain. Remember that? And I kept saying, what the hell is this blockchain? Nobody understands it. Yes, everybody's talking about it. I don't think there's much to this. I don't think it's going to affect us in everyday life. And you know what? It hasn't. Nobody talks about blockchain anymore. It's being used, but it doesn't really have much to do with us in everyday life. This will. This is not going to be a fad, I don't believe. This, I think, is, we're going to be talking about this for the rest of our life. This is not going away. Um, but it's already well, becoming, oh, that... wait, wait, I want to go back to why I want to talk about it. Two big reasons. One, this may be a real tool. I mean, I'm already thinking about ways we could use artificial intelligence to help us solve some of the problems we face with trucks or business or money or health, or this may be a really powerful tool used the right way. So I want to stay on top of it for that. Could, could we, you know, all the people we have on this show right now, think of all the, the experience we have with trucks and troubleshooting if, if we might be able to use this tool to look through, you know, the data that Pittsburgh Power has on trucks and say, here's a pattern of what's been breaking and here are some reasons why. I mean, this may be a really powerful tool for us. So I'm looking at it for that. The other thing I'm looking at it is so people are aware that this is out there. That, that it's hard to get your head around how many different ways this is going to be used, and some of them are not going to be good. This is going to be used to rip people off and trick people. Um, we have technology now that they can actually fake videos. They're called deep fakes. They can now create videos where somebody could create a video of you of saying something you've never said in your life, and you wouldn't know the difference. We have to realize this stuff's coming. Oh, there's no doubt it's coming. I mean, you know, it. I think it's the ability of how fast it can research something. So you, you was making the comment that, you know, it can actually write a poem about fleet air filters. 
Well, everything that's ever been posted on about fleet air, it would research in, exactly. a, in a matter of seconds. Yep. And it could, it could literally come up with a, a conclusion. Yeah. That's what it does. That's what it does. But it, it's, it thinks and gets better over time. It actually learns. That's the kind of the scary part here. We're not program. Nobody ever programmed this to write a poem about fleet air filter. See, up until this point, computers could only do what we programmed them to do. It's very specific. They couldn't stray from that, not one iota. But that's changed now. This computer is going, nobody programmed it to be able to do these things, but it can do these things. And you can go try it. Now, here's, it, it's already getting political. So on Twitter this morning, I'm scrolling through news and making my show notes, and I see that somebody posted, they went and tried this chat GPT, and they asked it to write a poem about Donald Trump. And it said, I'm sorry, and I'm paraphrasing here, but basically it said, I'm sorry, I don't have the ability to make an opinion about a human being, was basically what the answer was. Oh, okay. Except then they said, write a poem about Joe Biden, and it did. Now, wow. somebody, and I, I say we don't program it to do things, we program it to learn. And, and somewhere, somehow, somebody posted the, or, or created this environment where it, it specifically picked out Donald Trump and said, I'm not going to write a poem about him. So somebody had to, to basically load that information? Some, that somewhere, somehow. Yeah, come on. That's not a coincidence. You know, we didn't pick two presidents. Exactly. Now, here's the other thing. So I looked at that, and there was like a thousand comments on it. People were going off about it. And I thought, wait a minute. Did anybody double check this? So I did it. I went to chat GPT. I said, write a poem about Joe Biden. It did. I said, write a poem about Donald Trump. And it did. So then I went back to the discussion, and I finally, within the thousands of responses, I found somebody, the original poster said, oh, look, I went back and asked it a second time, and it did it. So there's another thing we have to get used to. You do a Google search, you can do it a hundred times, and if you don't change the words you're using, you're going to get the exact same search results. But that's not how artificial intelligence works. You might ask it a question 10 minutes later and get a different answer. But isn't that how humans are, kind of? In a sense. You know, we were sitting around a couple of weeks ago, and I'm just using this for example, but um, we was just talking about fleet air filters. The next thing when I open my phone, <laughs> guess I, what pops up? I know. The this makes me crazy. First, yeah. The first thing was fleet air filters. I know. I'm like, yeah. I, I mean, was it just coincidence, or is that... <sighs> it it seems to, to happen this? too often for it to be coincidence, but then you start thinking, well, how? Maybe, you know what, maybe it is that we're just being tracked so much with everything we do online that this stuff does come up that often that it's coincidence. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's, that's too much coincidence for me. Well, I now, mean, here's... You know, we, we talk about all kinds of things, but... So most people, 
you know, we, we see this term cookies with our computer. You go to a website, we, do you want to accept our cookies? Mm-hmm. And this is more complicated than people think. But these, these cookies track what you do online. That's exactly what they do. They know every website you've been to. They know every link you clicked on in every website. As long as you allow these trackers, and the default is that they're allowed. Um, I use a search engine that blocks all these trackers. But your all of your search history, everything you've ever clicked on the Internet is out there. Now, I can promise you somebody is already using artificial intelligence to look at everything you've ever clicked on. And do you know how much you would know about that person? Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, the things that you would search. You, you could put something together on somebody in a matter of a heartbeat and just you know, know exactly their routine and what they do. You know, this is actually from a couple of years ago, but there was a story and they proved this, that Target had gotten so good at tracking purchases. You know, this is why these these stores create those loyalty programs. And you get the card and you get a discount. And the discount's so big, it's like you have to get the card. You'd be an idiot not to. Except that's how they track everything you ever bought. That now they, they've got all this history. They said Target got so good at this, they were able to predict a woman was pregnant before she could most of the time. Oh, wow. How bizarre is that? Well, if they... If they track me a whole lot, they're going to say that is the most boring man I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Because all I do is work. It's work. Yeah, it goes back to that all work and no play. Makes Johnny a dull boy. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, you know, that kind of marketing stuff has been going on. And now that we, now, you know, before it was only companies, you know, big enough target to do this kind of stuff. Now this, I'm looking at it and saying, wait a minute, I, I could use artificial intelligence to do some of this stuff as a very small company now. So now that's you're, true. and that's why I want people to be aware. I'm looking at it as, like I said, it, we could turn this into a positive. We could help a lot of people with this if it's used right. But I also want people to be aware, everybody and their brother is going to have access to this stuff. So everybody who wants to market you know, like, to you now is, is you're just going to get bombarded with this stuff. I think. Well, you know, another good example, like our local newspaper, it's actually becoming a thing of the past. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. used to you know Sundays you'd, you'd get your newspaper and you'd go through it and you could read everything about everything and you know what's going on. Well, now they're only going to print one newspaper. That's going to be on Sunday. And the rest of the week, it's all online. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you know, everybody is went to their cell phones, and that's where we get all our news from. Yep. I mean, yep. I don't really hey, think, think about this. My, my first job, I think I was like nine years old. I got a paper route. How common was that? To have, when was the last time you heard a kid have a paper route? <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> exactly. That's just gone. It's mind-boggling. Yeah, it is. All right, um, let's uh, move along. Bruce, um, you know what? I'm going to – Bruce got muted again somehow. I'm going to unmute him and make sure he can jump in. Bruce, you can just jump in any time. Let us know you're back. Nope. 
must still be loud. Or he's back. Yeah, he's not back yet. But I have him unmuted, so he, if he can hear me, Bruce, you can just jump in um, whenever you want. Uh, let's hear from Pete and Leroy. Pete, what's up this week? Hi, Kevin. How you doing today? Good. So, you know, ironically, Bruce was talking about the winter front, and I was going to talk about thermostats. And okay. As I was doing some research on the X-15, um, one of the things I found is that it's okay to use a winter front. Um, unlike the DD platform, they don't encourage it. Okay. Interesting. Well, I think it's like the DDs don't encourage it for most cases. I think it says it's like negative 30 degrees, which is most cases. You know, there's a small group of people I feel like that right. regularly right. run in negative and I was surprised on the when I was looking up uh, information for the thermostat that Cummins is generally pretty good about, you know, like as far as oil, which to run 1030, 1540, at what temperature range you, you can be in. And, and they didn't have a temperature range for winter fronts. I would think they'd say if you're yeah. below minus 10 or minus right. 20, they'd want you to run. didn't have that, which I kind of thought was odd. You know, it, it absolutely makes it. Well, they also mentioned shutters, which I thought was odd because I haven't seen shutters on a truck since, you know, here's 70s, maybe early. Here's what you would say. And I, I get, you know, adding this kind of technology to a truck is costly and the accountants have to approve it all. But we might want to see if there's enough benefit to managing that airflow in the wintertime that why wouldn't we have trucks with. Um, shutters that are operated from the ECM. Well, absolutely. You know, like um, Leroy and I were speaking today, um, the air brakes are on, shutters are shut, because generally you're not moving. That's a good point. And we want to maintain as much heat as possible. And if for some reason it would start to get warm, then maybe the shutters would open up first. Then, of course, the fan can always kick on. Right. To me, it would make sense to have the shutters and definitely a winter front, even if you are able to maintain heat in the cab. Um, you doesn't run as efficient as you, you could. Let's face it. If you have to idle at 200 degrees, you're a whole lot more efficient than idling at 180. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There, it, you know, you're, you guys are talking about the, the shutters and stuff. I have a 2021... GMC pickup in the shop right now. It has shutters on it. Does it? And it is controlled through the ECM. That that seems to be the way to do it. You know, if they want to tell it, you know, I think when you look at the DD platform, if they're not recommending it, they're worried that somebody's going to mismanage it. They're going to have it on at the wrong temperature. Okay, I get that. But I have to believe there's an advantage at times to closing down that airflow. So don't leave it up to the driver. Let the ECM figure out when it should do it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, and on the winter fronts, like you said, there's the ones that had the diamond in the center. And you could peel it back as you yeah. needed it. And you stop for to peel off, you stop for a, a bathroom break. Um, if it's starting to warm up that day or you're running south, you're heading south, it's warming up, you jump out and open, open it up a little bit. Yeah. 
Or if the ECM had control of it, exactly they could open it up. Right. <laughs> it could open it up exactly the, the, the amount that it needs, right? Takes human hands out of it at that point, and that's sometimes a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I was surprised. So I, I bought a 2022 Bronco Sport in, in like October. Not a real Bronco. It's not the real Bronco. It's <laughs> a girly one. <laughs> but it's better by Subaru. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I still have a Subaru. Um, but uh, it takes forever. So I have to, it's time for an oil change. I'm going to take it back for the, um, back to the Ford garage for the oil change and, and tire rotation stuff. And, and there's a recall on it as well. But I'm shocked how long it takes for me to get to operating temperature. And it's not, you know, the gauge not moving because I can feel when I have the, right. the heater on, it's not warming up. So from my house to the, 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 the two-lane road, it's, um, you know, like 45-mile-an-hour road, it's probably four miles. And it, at that point, barely moved the dial. And then I'm probably like, another four miles uh, where it opens up, um, where I'm pulling some hills that it's up to operating temperature which to me just seems like a really long time for a new vehicle to make temp. Yeah, it does seem like a long time. Now I'm going to have yeah. to check it out. There might be an issue with the thermostat. It will maintain. I mean, it stays in the middle once it warms up. It just seems to take a lot longer than I you, thought it. You know, you would think with all the emissions and the complications, and we know these things run better at higher temperatures to keep the emissions working well, you would think that they would just be designed so that they came up to, to temperature as quick as possible. And uh, that wouldn't be hard. Well, I mean, I think that they do. I mean, like on the DD, the, the thermostat, when it's fully closed, it blocks all the coolant flow that goes to the radiator and it just bypasses uh, and it just circulates the coolant throughout the engine. So, I mean, how much, how much harder can you make it warm up? You know well, I, mean? I guess if that's what it's doing, if it, it, and, and it holds that till it warms up, it sounded like on this Bronco that that's not what's happening. It shouldn't take that long. No, so I, I think something's going on with it. Like so I have an appointment to get, uh, a recall gone and oil change, and I, I mentioned that to them to look at it. And I mean, I'm still getting good fuel mileage. I'm still yeah. 28, 29. Um, so it, it hasn't, and if it does affect the fuel mileage, I mean, all the better, I should be getting better fuel mileage. Yeah. Maybe right. you're just too light on the throttle. Maybe that's why. <laughs> it could be. You're worried about your drive, fuel mileage. and you know. Drive it like you stole it. Come on. Looking like waiting for fuel mileage. Yeah, That's get right. out of your driveway and floor it. Then let's see how how fast. Yeah. Am I unmuted, Kevin? You, you are unmuted, Bruce. You are. Okay. Question, guys. Yeah. Any of the trucks have progressive fan units on them? Yeah. Yeah, there's a so lot of my, trucks that have variable speed fans. Okay, so most of them's that way now. Uh, I would say most of them, but there's a good chunk of them. And then you can also equip them, you know, aftermarket-wise as well. Right. I mean, just curious, because, I mean, I, I know some of the hot rod stuff we build, we run progressive units on them. And yeah. It's just more about controlling our, our temp and try to keep it at 195 or 200 all the time. Yeah. Pete, did you have anything else? I, I yeah. wanted that. Try to... yeah, so I was going to go over the thermostat. And what brought this up, I had a customer who um, was questioning why his 
uh, if he has a 180 degree thermostat, well, I would go up to 200 degrees and come back down, um, which is how things work. I mean, obviously, it's not going to do that sitting there idling unless there's an issue. But on an X15, it's a 180 degree thermostat, and that's when it starts to open. Uh, fully opens about 17 degrees above that. Um, the fan won't come on coolant temp until 210. So once you get about 210, the fan will come on on its own. Uh, or if air intake temp is about 200 degrees. So that would be where, you know, if you had a winter front on, could cause an issue. And the Which, fan would have to come on. I feel like 200 is way too way too high for the fan to come on for intake air temp. That's like boiling hot. Yeah, that's pretty hot. And then on the alarm on an X15, under 565, the alarm comes on at 225. Uh, above 265 horse, the alarm comes on at 230. And so we get calls, guys concerned at running at you know 210 or whatever, and it's, it's just not a problem on the new trucks. And I think it's important for to remember that the, th the thermostat's not a switch. It doesn't just completely open all at once. So inside, inside the thermostat is, is a, a type of wax that at a certain threshold, it'll start to melt. And as the wax melts, it expands, which opens the valve, which means that the coolant flow can flow past the thermostat. And like Pete was saying, it takes, what, 17 degrees to, from the time it begins to melt to it's fully open. And, and you wouldn't want it to be like a switch where it's on and off because temperature would go up, it would drop. It would go up and drop. And it, that wouldn't be efficient. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's a simple, it's a simple thing that just works. You know, they've done it since like the 30s. And I, I think the only time you really ever have issues is if you have something in your coolant, like dirt, debris, rust, then that can plug up that sort of wax element and then they don't want to close. Right. The Dodge pickups had a problem. I don't know if it was a second or third generation pickups. They had an issue with the castings. And what was happening was thermostats would stick open and it wouldn't maintain heat because of debris going through there. So the, the fix was to pull the thermostat, flush the cooling system, new thermostat, and you were good to go again. Back in the 80s, I took a thermostat home and I put it in a pan of water and I put a thermometer in with it and I watched it. And that's when I came up with it took 16 degrees to pull the open. Ah, okay. So, so, so Pete, you're saying you read 17? So Pretty darn close. My thermostat was, uh, or my, yeah. my thermometer was right on. Yeah, and I can imagine you could develop a thermostat with different types of wax that you know will melt quicker or slower yeah you know or I'm sure right expansion rates yeah all right um so on the DD50, go ahead uh, oh, oh, i had one one last thing kevin on the dd15 yeah. the thermostat opens at 188 starts to and is fully open at 203 and how much higher is that than the x15 you said 180 so like 80 oh, degrees, degrees. Mm, interesting you know i think i remember detroit put out a statistic on fuel economy specifically and i think it was 
I don't know if there was a, a baseline on it or not. I think the statistic they put out was every 10 degrees hotter you ran the engine, fuel efficiency improved by 1%. And I'm sure there's an upper limit to that, obviously. But And 1% may not be big, but it's 1%. And we know that the emissions do better when you keep that heat in the engine as well. Right. All right, yep. Pete, you done? It for me. Okay, you guys are like herding cats this morning. Bruce, did you have something now that you're back? I wanted to say one thing when you guys were talking about wet vapor air filters. <laughs> what they do to the turbocharger is they block off the air. Turbocharger is like a huge vacuum cleaner. Now the oil is coming out past the oil seal. It's not a rubber seal. It's a piston ring seal. And guys will call you and say, man, my turbo's throwing oil. Next thing I ask, were you just in a really heavy rainstorm? Ah, okay. Yes, I was. Okay. Take your paper filters out, put new ones in, pull the compressor housing off the turbo, pull the elbow and the piping going into the charger core, clean it out, and then start down a highway and... Take it and look at it in 100 miles, and you'll see that it's clean. There you go. Because it was the air filters that was causing a severe restriction. That makes sense. So my message is if you are in one of those rainstorms where your wipers can't even keep up, you know, that, that storm only lasts about 15 minutes. You're better off to pull over. Let the rain pass because it can save you. If you're running paper air filters, you can save you a couple hundred dollars. There you go. All right. Leroy, I don't think we've heard from you yet this week. Well, we've heard from you, but I haven't asked you what's on your mind. Uh, yeah, I was just, uh, we were talking, Pete and I were talking about thermostats most of the morning. And the other half of my uh, last couple of days have been on a very strange electrical issue on a 99 century. I that might be the first time you've ever heard that a century has a weird electrical problem. <laughs> I know. Very weird. But, yeah. And then the difficulty, too, is I don't have an exact schematic for this thing. So I'm trying to reverse engineer how the thing is wired. Oh, the box. oh. that's it tedious. Does this weird thing where when you turn the parking lights on, right, the... Circuit breaker for the right headlight shorts out, not shorts out, but, oh, you know, reaches over temp from too much current. And that shuts off the relay for the trailer lights. And it also is like making the inside dome light slicker. And I'm just like, how many things are attached to this headlight? (laughs) I I read about this on the Internet. You have to make sure that you turn oh, the good. headlight switch on with your right hand while you're rubbing your head with your left hand. I'll have to run out and tell Warren that. There you go. Also, uh, and I read it on the internet, so it has to be true. Right, right. So it, it's just one of those things where, you know, it takes time to, to sort of figure out how the system works and... Why? Where is this circuit breaker tied to? And, you know, where does this wire go in? What is yeah. this? So, um, we've got it down to a point where we have a certain plug unplugged under the dash. We don't know what it's for, but we felt that that one certain wire was getting hot. So we unplugged that, and 
it has gotten rid of the flickering lights, but now the parking lights don't work. So we're two steps forward and one step back. So we're making progress, but yeah, it's been sort of an interesting uh, afternoon for us. Got it. We had a similar problem to that on a unit one day. And come to find out, it was the bulb. We ended up changing the bulbs, and it solved the problem. It's well, crazy. We'll give thing. it a shot. <laughs> I mean, just something else to look at, you know. Yeah. No, of course. Well, you know that that whole the whole different type of bulb thing has made me crazy forever. On my on my coach, all the under bay lights were just the typical old style tail light bulbs. You know, they use the the tail light bulb yeah. on them, and they burn out a lot or break going down the road. They're constantly not working. And I thought, I'm just going to put LEDs in here. Except you can't for some reason. You put in LEDs, they just won't work. They don't come on. Why not? I'm putting 12 volts to this thing. Why doesn't it come on? We've we've had that happen before, too. And it had to do with the, the wiring on the bulb was flipped the wrong way. I mean, I've got a whole sense. box full of these things because I have a ton of those, you know, those kind of interior lights and cabinets and all over the coach. And I, I bought all these LEDs and none of them will work. It's crazy. I know. It's just bizarre. All right. So I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I do want to spend a little bit of time on it. We have a lot of calls. So we're we're going to have to get to them. And I'm going to start with you, uh, Leroy, since you were just talking about this wiring issue and um i want all of us to to start thinking about the whole artificial intelligence thing are we anywhere near and and i don't know if you've read anything about this or or, are we anywhere near ecms that might be like self-repairing Self-repairing in what way? Like self-diagnosing? Kind of self-diagnosing. Much, much more in-depth than what we have now where we just get this code and, you know, sometimes doesn't mean anything. Where are we? Any Is, is anybody even working on, you know, a, basically a, an electrical system that would troubleshoot itself? I mean, if you want to talk about artificial intelligence and how prevalent it is in our world, I mean, I... There's already a large number of it everywhere already. Yeah, exactly. A certain degree. I think a lot of when people think of artificial intelligence, they think of this robot that can cry when it watches movies. Right. That's not what I'm talking about. It's really just, um, you know, let's just take a lot of different types of artificial intelligence. And one of them is machine learning, which might be what you're kind of alluding to. And that's simply, simply... not simply, but it's basically a mathematical model where you have a certain number of inputs and then you have weighting factors. So based on this algorithm that you plug in this whole equation, based on your inputs and what certain things matter, it can give you an output. And if that output is above or below a threshold, then it'll move on to the next node. And it has a whole set of inputs and outputs. Right. So one place that's artificial intelligence and decision-making is already in ECMs is like on a DD-15 ACM. The way that they determine how much um, depth to spray is based on a big mathematical model. There are coefficients 
that are sort of your inputs, and then you have sensor inputs. And based on, you know, the degree of importance on each one of those inputs, it will eventually go through this model and spit out how much depth it's put out. Right. It's not like, you know, 10, 15 years ago where they're just like, oh, at this temperature and at yeah. this load, spray this much. Right. So right. it's already there, but down to the yeah. point where we sort of have an ECM that can say, oh, what is wrong is, you know, there is a leak at the DOC inlet pressure sensor. Right. 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 So it, it, it's, they try to do it now, but we just need more inputs. It's not necessarily we don't have enough processing power. Correct. It's just reliable it, inputs that you attach to a truck and then send it down the road for a million miles. Yes. That's kind of hard. Yeah. No, you're right. Now, there's a couple reasons I want to talk about this. You touched on one. This is being used a lot already. It's being used by large companies that have the kind of budgets that can afford to, to do this kind of stuff because it's really expensive. What's changed recently is this is the first time we as individuals have kind of had access to this kind of computing. And I know it's just a chat bot right now, but it's pretty incredible when you ask this thing to write a song about a person and it does. Or write a poem, or I mean, it's pretty incredible to watch this. To write a, an ad for a product, it, and it does it. So that's what's changed in my mind. Is we now have access to a, a pretty basic form, this this chat bot that can do things. But I, I think that's kind of the tipping point. You know, now now you have to realize that every email you get could have been written by a chat bot. It could have been written by artificial intelligence. The ads with, that you're getting or seeing or it, the, the music you hear, it, maybe it wasn't written by a human. But what I, here's the other thing I want people to understand because I think a lot of people are going to be confused about this. Let's think about a calculator for a second. You know, calculators came about during my lifetime. There was a time we really didn't have this thing. We had adding machines and some really basic stuff. But you look at like the scientific. <laughs> I'm ancient. Um, I'm not quite as old as Bruce, but I'm pretty old. So, but here's, we, we, we learned to absolutely trust the answer that the calculator gave us, right? Does anybody ever ask, a, now you don't have to have a calculator, your phone does it, your computer does it, but does anybody ever run a mathematical calculation and then check it to make sure it's right? Nobody does that, right? No. Nobody is going to, we trust that that is always the right answer. I don't want people to carry that mindset into what's coming with artificial intelligence. This will not be the right answer every time. It, it, it could be any answer. The way, so I want people to think of the artificial intelligence that's been created. Say Google releases theirs and we have this chat GPT and there's going to be more. Think of each one of those artificial intelligence things, whatever we're going to call them, as a human being. Because that's kind of what we're trying to create. Human beings, if you ask somebody a question, you don't always just assume that they're absolutely correct. Don't assume that these artificial intelligence machines are correct. 
Yeah, I think with the the chat GPT thing, I think that can be used like for evil. I guess if you Absolutely. want to put it that way, you know, you can say <laughs> yeah. wrong or not. I, I think there's I think there's a place for you know I do too artificial intelligence. I I, I think it that, that's like why for, I'm, I I want to figure out if we can figure out how to use it. You know, I want to be on the, the, the cutting edge of this to use it for good. And I also want to warn people, there are going to be an awful lot of people that use this for bad. This is going to happen. Like one thing you could use a high level model for or machine learning is you, you could save a lot of money on testing. Let's say you exactly. wanted to build a more aerodynamic. So the way you used to have to do it is you used to have to put an airplane, you'd have to build it put it in a wind tunnel, right. and then test multiple different ones. Now, as math and computers come along, you can almost, you can have a person sit there and build something on the computer and do it over and over again, right? Yep. Or you could have a team of engineers that do that. right? Or, as machine learning and things get better, you can just ask the computer, hey, what's the best aerodynamic shape based on these inputs? Yep. And it'll give it to you. Much faster, save a lot of money, we can solve all sorts of problems with it. We can also cause all sorts of problems and, you know, use it for, I guess you could say evil or right. being disingenuous with it. But right. I, I try to look at it for a positive light. I mean, the chat GPT thing is sort of interesting and scary all at the same time. But, um, yeah, I think that's just somebody using a, a good idea for bad. And that's, again, I'm very optimistic of what we may be able to accomplish with this. But I'm also just making sure, just be aware of what this really is. And again, don't make that mistake that it's just like a calculator and, you know, I'm going to get the right answer. Nothing could be further from the truth. Most of the stuff we're talking about here, there isn't really a right answer. You know, you, it, it, if I ask it to write a poem about, you know, Donald Trump it, and it writes a poem, it, it's not right or wrong. It just is. It's a poem. I I wonder if we can get it to write an article and see in the voice of Bruce and see if Bruce can tell the difference. We should play around with it. And try. it here's here's the other thing. You you there's <laughs> there's a skill to learning how to asking this thing the right questions. Right. Yeah, you have to give it uh, good input. We right. talk about it all the time. Garbage in. Garbage. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Like I said, but I don't I think don't, anyone. Can be I, I don't want to spend a ton of time on it today. Well, I do want to, but we have a lot of calls, so I want to get to them. But I, I just want to kind of go through all of us and just kind of talk about it for a minute or two and start thinking about it. You just keep it in mind. How could we use this? You know, what might we solve? So, uh, Bruce, did you hear us when we were talking about this earlier when you were on hold? Yes. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, I'm not going to worry a whole lot about it because, you know, of my age. So um, I, I can say this. I don't want to get in a vehicle and be driving down the strip district in Las Vegas with nobody driving it. Unless it's on tracks. Yeah, that's it's already happening. I mean, and and artificial intelligence will be a big part of all of this autonomous technology. Um, so it, it's coming. I know owner yeah. operators that won't get in. Some owner operators won't ride a Greyhound bus, and they won't ride in airplanes because they're not in control. How would they feel going down a highway 
riding in a bus type vehicle with nobody driving. I, I know, so. I get it, but it's uh, <laughs> it, it's coming. So, like I said, I, I'm more interested in in how we may be able to use this for good to solve more problems, to help more people. Because mm-hmm. it, it yeah. is it's it's powerful. I mean, it's it's. If it's used right, and if it's yeah. programmed right and used right, it's very powerful. So, I'll uh, I'll keep an eye on it. Pete, any thoughts? Not really. I mean, I haven't followed it much. I mean, I know it's coming, but I'm not really one for technology. So, you know, I know it's out there. I see people complain about artwork being done. Yeah, with well, artificial intelligence, and they're complaining. It's not artwork. You know, here's a, a big, big issue that they're already trying, they're going to have to deal with right now. I mean, they can't wait. It's already here. What about school assignments? Seriously, this thing could write a book yeah. report. I think they're already figuring out ways to sort of determine that. It, they're going to have to. written by chat GBT. You know, here, here's Or regulations something. will a signature of some sort. Here's here's something I've played around with. I use a program called Grammarly that fixes my writing mistakes. Um, and and you know these things used to just do like punctuation. That that's fairly simple. There's pretty clear rules about you know the period should be here, a comma should be here. So that was some of the first things these programs could do. Now they actually help you with your writing style. The way the sentence is worded, they will say that that's too wordy. Try this. And they give you a whole different version of that sentence. So I've been using that program for years. It really helps me write, but it's got another feature on it. And and I use this because we we copy and paste stuff all the time. I'll be, you know, putting together notes for myself. So I'll copy something from a website and paste it into my notes. And I'm always careful that I don't end up putting something like that, that I copied and pasted from my own notes. I want to make sure that doesn't end up in my book somewhere or it doesn't end up in our newsletter. That's plagiarism. Well, the program Grammarly will check that for me. It will take a, a paragraph or a couple sentences and it checks every web page on the internet to see if anybody ever typed that exact paragraph before. And I've caught things that I didn't realize. I thought I wrote it. It's been in my notes for, you know, I'm going back to something I did three years ago. And I have this paragraph and it looks like something I wrote. And sure enough, I run it through Grammarly. Now it was something I copied off some other website, you know, 10 years ago or who knows. So, when when I use this artificial intelligence, this chat GPT to write a paragraph, I always run it through grammar. Every time it comes back completely original. It is not copying and pasting stuff. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty it's pretty cool. Yeah. I'll give it that. Yeah. But All right. Um David. Knows where it'll go. Any thoughts? It's super scary. Yeah, yeah. It I mean, is. to know that you know it can happen, so and, or it's going to happen. It, the while we're talking about the scary side of it, I do want to warn people about something called deep fakes. You go go search for this and check it out. Watch them. You can find examples. They are now able to manipulate video and make it look like you said things you didn't really say. You know, I, I like the fact that. 
you know, we could use it to maybe help design things, uh, you know, and take out some of the the R and D, right? Um, right. Which we kind of use that now in a sense, like with air filters. I mean, we design them and and fusion, and and I mean, we can test them and show airflow and yep, right and all that. Which that's a big that's a big help. Yep. But it seems like this technology is even going to be way more advanced. So here's one of the ways I'm thinking about this for myself. So our database for fuel gauges, I think the other day I might have said we had 7 million fuel tickets. I got confused. We have about 4 million, I think, which is still a lot of fuel tickets. And I think we had almost 2,000 a day. So that number gets bigger and bigger and bigger all the time. You think about that, um, 4 million fuel tickets and we have, we know the make of the truck. Now, not always, because not everybody fills out all their information, but most do. We have the make and gear of the truck. We have the engine. We have horsepower rating. We have transmission. We have gear ratios. We have tire size. We have speed. We have weight. The more information people fill out in that software, the better it is for them. They get better answers, but that's an awful lot of data. What if we could turn artificial intelligence loose on that data to find, you know, the best combinations or what month is our worst fuel economy, what month is our best fuel economy? Uh, I think there's a lot of, of potential there. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, just just from the data off your, off your scan gauge, fuel gauge stuff, it helps me doing what I do now. It, right. So... If we could even get it better, I mean, you know, the sky's the limit on what we can do uh, with air filtration or tires or gear ratios or whatever, I mean, at that point. Yeah, we, we've always known that, you know, gathering all of that data, I, I don't think there's another database like it in the country with individual trucks, with all that data about each truck, so many different trucks. You know, you have fleets that obviously they've been tracking their own fuel economy. Most of the time, all the trucks are pretty similar. Um, You've got drivers in and out of trucks, so that skews the numbers. We've got this pretty unique database, and I've always thought at some point, the data itself is going to be worth money. Like, you know, there might be a revenue stream there. We'll sell the data to other companies that want it. Nobody's personal data is in there. Nobody's name or anything like that. It's just a bunch of numbers about trucks and fuel economy. But now I'm thinking the real value here might be using artificial intelligence to really dig into that data and what could it tell us about fuel economy that we haven't figured out ourselves. That's just progressing. You know, we're just progressing on with, you know, the future and trying to come up with more fuel mileage. I mean, it takes little things like this or big things like this to yeah. make things happen, you know, in, in the world now. So, All right. Well, we've, uh, we've blown through the first hour plus. We've had a lot of people patiently waiting on the phone, so we're going to get to the calls. Let's go to Oklahoma. Paul, howdy. Howdy. Um, I know why the cat bot could write a poem about Biden because he's part chat bot as well. He's not a real human. <laughs> Maybe that's someone's it. Pro- someone's, pro- someone's programmed him, you see. That's right. Because he can't answer a question without a teleprompter. <laughs> you might be onto something. Um, yeah. And Trump's the opposite. He don't need no teleprompter. He, <laughs> you, you he just, keep on keeping on. Yeah, you can't shut him up. 
So, you know, last week I called him. I had that that code for the for the knock sensor. Um, well, then it came on. It went off. It came back on the next day. It went off, and yesterday it was on again. But then I got another code that stayed on there. But this morning when I went out the truck, turned it on. The knock sensor one is off, but the other code's up. So am I getting close to uh, where I need to pay a visit to you guys? Or you look into your crystal ball? <laughs> yeah, that's just a hard one. Um, it's just hard to say without really looking at it. But I would say if you keep having issues, yeah, we need to look at it. Okay, I, I guess I'll call Eric to see if I can get an appointment. So as much as I don't like to go north in the winter, but we're having winter here in Oklahoma today. It's 20 degrees at my house and feels like seven. It's a little nippy. <laughs> so, right, I know you got people waiting. Okay, thank you much. Hey, Paul? But, yeah? You better call, uh, who's that guy who preaches global warming? Who was screaming over at Davos? Alvin, you better call Al Gore and tell him that. Hey, uh, lunatic. Yeah, <laughs> when, I left home, when I left home yesterday morning, it was cold, but there was no sleet at my house. And then 20 miles away, it sleeted big time. I went and made my two deliveries. Went and got a couple of tires mounted on my trailer and then came back home. And it's just a gentle slope on outside my house not real steep, but um, five miles away from my house on the main road, there was no sign of sleep or anything, and I turned onto the road I live on, and it's like, oh, it looks a little slick, and within two miles, it had turned to shit, and then I get to my driveway, and I couldn't back uphill to get into the, into the, into the driveway, so I went a mile east of my house to the intersection, turned around and then came back and had to drive in. So, but I, I can't go anywhere today. I'm out of hours. So, yeah. So, I'll go, I'll go try out my rear-wheel drive stinger, see how it handles in the ice. So, there you go. All right. I'll let you go. Thanks. All right. Thanks for the call. i got to be careful. There's so many people on the board. I don't want to <laughs> drop the wrong call here. Let's go to... Uh, Massachusetts, Chris, welcome to the program. Hey guys, I have an update on an issue I have, and then I have a question about transmission. So I'm the guy that had the, uh, 19 Cascadia half a million with the brakes that would lock up when I would pull a trailer and, uh, nobody could, nobody ever heard of the problem. Well, they finally found the problem. It was a uh, brake plunger. I guess there's a plunger between the back of the brake pedal and the, uh, the valve, brake valve. So I did it. It fixed it. But what a what a mess I had to go through to get it for them to find the problem. But anyway, and I do appreciate some of the drivers that called in when that one day when I called in and gave some advice. And uh, I did pass along the Freightliner, but they had checked on that stuff already. So, and I didn't, 
take the one guy's advice about taking my truck out to a dry field of grass and letting it catch on fire. So I decided <laughs> against that one. But, uh, yeah. I usually prefer leaving it in the hood with the engine running, keys in it, and door open, and, and jump out, run away real fast to catch right. everyone's attention. Yeah. Right, right. No, it's definitely a, a good option, too. So my question, though, so my transmission in gears 6, 7, and 8, and uh, it does it, I would say, about 50% of the time, um, but not every time. Uh, I mean, there's sometimes where it will go a week without doing it, and then all of a sudden it will do it a lot. But um, in gears 6, 7, and 8, it, and that's on the up and the downshift, it will go into the gear, it will hop back to neutral for a second, and then hop back into that gear. And it pretty much does it only in six, seven, and eight. Would you be, which would you be more inclined to believe it is, the transmission or the clutch? You're talking about the DT12, right? Yes, yeah. Yeah, I think, I think I've heard of this recently too. Um, I think it has something to do with the control valve that, so the, it's all air controlled. And it's something to do with if you, uh, like the range control valve doesn't get enough air pressure because of corrosion in the the seals, um, that it will shift into neutral and back and forth and back and forth. I just heard somebody else saying about this within like the last month, and I think that's what they said that it was. You said a range control valve? I believe that's the name of it. Um, uh and I pardon my lack of mechanical uh, uh, knowledge, but and that's on the transmission, not part of the clutch. Right. Yeah. So I mean, okay. the transmission is all automated, and I think all the automation right. happens. Air pressure moving certain things, um, you know, in and out. It's not electric. It's all air. So I think if there's any sort of issue with the air system on the transmission, then you can get weird things that happen like that. Gotcha. Okay. That's just one okay. idea. I'm not saying that's what it is. That's okay. what one could be. Yep. No, I appreciate it. I'll uh, I'll check into that. So, thanks, guys. I appreciate all the help and thanks for the show. I've, I've learned a lot over the years listening to to your show. So, thank you so much. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks for the yeah, support. Appreciate it. Let's go to Louisiana. Tony, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How you doing? Good. What's on your mind today? Remember that cold coolant leak that I had? Yes. Well, speaking of Dallas or uh, winter weather and autonomous trucks, anyone who wanted to, uh, any any uh, opinion on autonomous trucks needed to be driving in Dallas yesterday with that ice. And um, the, you had human beings getting in wrecks every half a mile. Uh, I don't want to hear about any autonomous trucks. Anyway, <laughs> I was in Dallas, and I had some time. Yeah, and, and Bruce uh, said it exactly right. His comment on that was, it was exactly right. That's exactly what I was thinking yesterday. But I had some time in Dallas, and I, there's a boss shop in Dallas. So I said, okay. I have some time. Can you check out this coolant leak? And no, it wasn't the catalyst. And I knew it wasn't, by the way. Um, 
uh, it was ended up being the radiator. And once they had that off, oh, your charge air cooler, and they showed me, charge air cooler had a crack in it. Okay, and I'm like, oh, no. I'm supposed to be getting this stuff done at Pittsburgh Power. I don't want to be doing it right here. But they can't put it back together until I can make it up to Pittsburgh Power. You know, that. what I want to know is, first of all, um, you were right that it, it was uh it was something to do with the mechanics of the system both you know it's $5,500 for that because I had a fan blade and uh exhaust pipe also by the way which was the smoke that was coming out um so they fixed all of that how much did I lose and how stupid am I as a businessman for not putting everything back together and having Bruce do the charge air cooler radiator uh, and whatever dyno, it is a pack car up at Pittsburgh Power instead of at the boss shop in about uh, six hours. Oh, you know, it's one of those things, not that we didn't want to do the work, but it would be a lot of money spent to put it back together to get up here to fix a problem that technically isn't that hard to change you know you're, you're just changing your radiator and air to air now, i don't know what quality or what warranty they gave you on those parts that that might be something different there but it'd be a fair expense for you to take on to do that yeah i was figuring how much lost revenue there'd be to have to make an appointment at pittsburgh power and it's just sad because i didn't want to do it um, but I said, okay, I've got this load. I'd have to, you know, cancel it. Uh, possibly I want to get this done at Pittsburgh power, but you know, it may even be worth it to, you know, it's a one year warranty ended up being a pack car charge air cooler and just, a an aftermarket, you know, some guy's shop radiator and a pack car fan blade. I guess a cat had crawled up in there and a couple of the, Blades were broken, so that while they were in there, they did that. Uh, a couple other things, lights, uh, to, to, to just have you redo it, you know, because of the, you know, they're getting it done on my break. You know, that's, that's worth a lot of money right there. Because if I was to go yeah. to Kenwalk or, or even Pittsburgh Power or something, you're losing weeks. I can't get out of there, you know, they're not calling you back. But anyway, it ended up being the charge air cooler. Do you guys have some kind of, uh, brand that you make of charge air cooler? Cause I hear it all the time. I know I'm getting a fleet air filter next time I go to Speedco or an oil change, but is, is that the, that's just your fuel filter, right? That you don't have a special kind of charge air cooler and radiator as well. Well, hold on. The fleet air filters, an air filter, not a fuel filter. Um, and there are differences in charge air coolers and in, in how they're built. Uh, one of the brands that, you know, I've worked with and talked to and we partnered with for years and years was Duralite. Instead of welding the, the tubes at the end, they use rubber grommets. So they don't crack over time and start leaking. They have a, I think it's a million mile, seven year warranty. Uh, that's clearly built different. Bruce, I know you've had, you know, a couple other brands over the years that have been built really well. So there is a difference in charger coolers, yes. 
the uh, I don't know how to quite answer this one. All I know is the people that we custom built radiators with built these charger coolers. They have a, also have a is it seven year Pete seven year warranty seven year um, million mile warranty on most of them. Um, we would okay. have to make sure that there would one be available for his truck. You know, had he wanted it, but I mean, at this point, we wait till it leaks, and this is why we check air to air leaks all the time. So if you're in my shop, you're getting a boost test automatically because um, this could have had a leak that you could have had for quite a while. And if it's a small leak, you have some time to get it fixed. So that's why we always check leaks on trucks on a regular basis. I I can tell you we've had. Have we, in all the years, Pete, had any charger coolers fail? We had one that had a crack in it that they said, we're going to warrant it, but I don't think, they thought it was an installation type crack, but they, they did warranty it either way. Uh, and that was the only one I can think of. And so we probably here. sell about 30 a month for how many years, so we've had one failure out of hundreds of charge air coolers sold. They're, they're, they are a bar and plate, and they are not restrictive. you got to be careful. Some charge air coolers are very restrictive, and they'll back up the air to the turbocharger and not let the air pass through into the intake. So, Kevin, you're right. Not all, all charge air coolers are created equal and we make sure that the ones we use have a lot of flow because all of our engines that we deal with are probably 10 to 20 percent over stock yeah and some more there you go all right well next time so it's like i'm hoping that the, these parts fail and i won't even honor the warranty i'll just come straight to pittsburgh power and uh, have you guys take care of it. If only I could get in and out, in and out as quick. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, we get you out quick once we get you in. It's getting <laughs> right. you in right now. Yeah. Yeah. We could use about four more mechanics if anybody knows of good mechanics that would want to relocate to Western Pennsylvania. We've got three wonderful rivers. We've got the great. Uh, off-road riding on ATVs and dirt bikes. We've got a lot of hunting and a lot of great motorcycle riding on the streets because we're all two-lane highways. There you go. Good stuff. Tony, we're going to catch you And it's an economical place. Yeah, it is. North of Pittsburgh is an economical place to live. It really is. Uh, some of the best housing prices in the country. Um, let's... Yes. Get to some phone calls. They're piling up on us. Let's go to California. Mike, welcome to the program. Hey, good morning, Kevin. This is Mike with the big house. Yeah. What's on your mind today? Okay. Hey, Bruce. Um, I called you before about changing my gear ratio from 342 to 228. Um, I messed up. I got nervous because you guys have millions of listeners. But this time I took <laughs> some notes. I was going to uh, have some notes on the positives of it but I have, I've come up with a problem with my truck. So, um, so I went from 342 gears to 228. And these are the things I've noticed. The trans and rear diff run much cooler now. 
And at, at 65 miles per hour, the RPM was at 1420, and now it's at 1300 in 11th gear. Oh, uh, Bruce, I'm going back speed. up. It's yeah, 13 so speed, up, right? Bruce. I have a 2020 Kenworth T880 X15 with 270,000 miles on it with a 13 speed automatic. Okay. I've got to give you that information first with all you millions of listeners. So you went from 342 to 228, and you went from 14-something down to 1,300, and that X-15 should like that RPM. Yes, the truck is so much quieter now. It, it, it's quieter now. We can hear the turbo whistle. It's a pleasure to drive. I really like it in 10th gear now. So if we're running two-lane highway like up in your area, uh, you know, running 55 to 58 miles an hour in 10th gear, it pulls real nice right there, you know, running, at, and that's still at 1,300 RPM or 1,250, and it's really nice. It's w- really working good. And um, uh, let me go down my list here. Well, the, the other thing we're noticing is how much better it shifts. My wife noticed this right away because we team drive across the country. Um, so it's staying in each gear about one-third longer. So it's not quite shifting so fast. So we like that. And it also seems to really downshift a lot better. It, it used to be kind of retarded downshifting. It was jerky and just didn't work very well. But staying in the gear one-third longer seems to have improved the uh, automatic transmission shifting by a lot. Well, it allows the engine to continue to pull because you're not constantly shifting. So we can answer the upshift. It's the downshift that uh, I don't know how to answer that one. So when we when I used to slow down, I would just, as I would start to get like to about six gear where it would start to um, do the big gaps in the, in the 13 speed, you know, there's a gap's a lot bigger once you get to six, the downshifting, I would just click it into neutral till I came to stop because it would jerk and clunk so much. But now it'll do that smoothly all the way back down the first gear. Wow. Did you gain pulling power? Okay, that's on my list right here, too. Um, I'm almost there. So on my next thing I noticed I got here is taking off seems to be okay. We just hauled 71,000 pounds, and it seemed to take off. You know, um, I really couldn't tell much difference taking off. But maybe this has caused a problem that I'm calling you on. But that's further on my list here. And we also hauled a light 20-foot container west on 80 um, through Nebraska. Had lots of winds, the usual bad weather, the slight hill climb. Uh, that was a concern that I had called you guys on a while ago. And so we were trucking at 65 miles an hour. And we ended up getting 6.8 going through Nebraska and Wyoming. And uh, that seemed to be in about a half mile per gallon better. Yeah, in in the wind. Okay, good. Yeah, in the wind, running 120 RPMs less. So running 1,300 mm-hmm. instead of 1,420. And not and turning just, over, not turning overdrive gears. And not turning overdrive gears. Transmission doesn't hardly the transmission and rear driver doesn't seem to warm up. They'll stay nice and cool the whole time. Why the, 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 the splitter, you know, the front driver, the splitter, that one's still warm. That one will still warm up. 
But it must be um, they're not warming up because they're turning one-third slower, having the taller gear ratio in it. I got to run, guys. <laughs> okay. They're playing with the alarm system. I'll be right back. All right. We'll, we'll be here okay. waiting on you. So on my, Kevin, we got your app. My wife keeps track of all the stuff. Our 90-day average before doing this gear ratio change was 7.2. Okay. So now I'll see if it comes up. Good. And Leroy, you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. Okay, I got a question for you. When I called you guys before I changed this gear ratio, um, I had a comment about running the X15 down to low RPM, and you had mentioned there was a uh, amount of time you could run it down low. You know, and you can't you can only run it down low for a certain amount of time. I didn't quite understand that after I got off the phone with you all and started thinking about it. I didn't know why it would matter if you ran the X15 down low for five miles or you did it over and over and over for short periods of time? Well, I don't think it's just, I mean, low RPMs that kill the engine. Obviously, you can sit there and idle it for hours and hours and hours on end and not really cause any sort of significant engine damage. I mean, the after-treatment will hate it, but the engine will be fine. I think the spec is you can't run it at full load at the lowest rated RPM, which is, what on your engine? What what's it rated for? What's its peak torque at? Like twelve hundred? Eighteen something like that. Uh, eighteen fifty, and I think that's at eleven hundred RPM. Back. Okay, eleven. So they're saying you can't run it more at a, less than eleven hundred RPM for more than thirty seconds with the pedal all the way down. Is what they recommend. Okay, so so that's what I'm getting at. What would that matter if you did that? you know, for 20 seconds here and there over and over throughout the day, wouldn't that all, all add up to as climbing a hill, lugging it down the whole way? No, I think, I mean, at, at that point you have, you know, probably your peak cylinder pressure, you, you have your peak uh, internal friction. Um, and then con- as you continue to run it past 30 seconds, the amount of heat and friction and things just continue to build up over that point. And I think, I don't know the exact reason they don't list why, but I'm assuming you start to get to a point where certain things might start to fail, like localized oil temperature in the cylinder might start to overheat. And then you have a breakdown where, you know, the, the rings will start to dig into the cylinder liner. They'd never specifically say why, but I'm guessing from their testing, they don't want you to run it at full load at you know, uh, peak torque RPM for more than 30 seconds, I guess just basically to say because something is going to fail. Okay. Copy that. Okay. So, so now that I've done all this, I've come up with a good vibration in this truck right here. It's, it's, um, it still runs good. It'll still make 29 pounds of boost, but I get a bad surging. It, it didn't start doing this right away after I changed the gear ratio. We've made a couple coast-to-coast runs, and now this problem has happened, so I'm not necessarily blaming it on the gear ratio. So we get a bad surging in ninth and seventh gear and a light vibration in all the other gears. And I can even get this vibration when I'm stopped. Um, in neutral, brake set or whatever, 
sometimes I get to vibrate, sometimes I can't. It seems to have a lot to do with maybe the way the position of the truck. Like if I maybe have the frame rolled a little bit, twisted on an incline, like a rev it, be at a stop and rev it to 1300, and I could get everything to shake, the steering wheel shaking, dash is shaking, get out the front tire shaking. But I can wow. grab the engine, but I could touch the engine. The engine feels fairly smooth, but everything else is shaking around it. So what we did, we pulled it in the shop yesterday, and we pulled the transmission, and we pulled the clutch assembly out. We put the transmission back in with no clutch to simulate the same amount of, of weight on, on, the, on, on all the motor mounts. So all the motor mounts, everything's similar the same. And we plugged it back in and we started the truck up, rev it to 1300, and we still got the steering wheel vibration and the front tire shaking, but the engine feels smooth and the transmission isn't spinning and there's no clutch in it. So that's kind of what, where I'm stuck at with this thing. And then, and so all the motor mounts are good here. On the on the flywheel, on the clutch disc assembly, the center spline had slop around the real small springs. That seemed to be a little sloppy. The flywheel bushing looks to be scarred up. Um, but everything looks good on this. We were going to go back together today with it with new clutch assembly after we turn the flywheel. How, how many miles on the engine? 270. Well, just for the heck of it, why don't you take the torsional damper off and let it idle and see if it changes it? Or put another damper on, just bolt another torsional damper on it and see if that fixes it. Maybe something happened to the damper. Okay. Okay. That's, I, where, I, that's where I would start. Okay. So the, the, the why would the engine feel smooth, but the vibration coming out through the truck, is it just because the vibration spreading outward and magnifying as it goes outward? Good. What about well, motor mounts? Um, man, they look great. They look great. The front ones and the back ones look great. That's why I put the transmission back on with no clutch assembling it. So it would compress the motor mounts the same way. And years ago, when there was a lot of rebuilt clutches, we would get a vibration like that with some rebuilt clutches. And we would take the transmission and the clutch out and start it. Never thought to put the transmission back in it to have the weight on it. Does it ever go away? It's any RPM. It, at low RPM, like eight nine hundred, at when I get to about the eleven hundreds, like start to feel it come on. You know, we got the low idle RPM of like six hundred. We've always had that, and we start trucking in the morning, set the fast idle where it's running about seven fifty, and it's nice and smooth right there. Air and, fuel can, air and fuel can cause vibrations, but uh, we're usually not on a new truck. Now, I kept an eye on the boost uh, the boost pressure, boost, 
because you've talked about that so much, it will still boost up to 29 pounds. That has not affected that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, and I do have the air dog on there. Okay. Uh, you shouldn't have any, shouldn't have any, um, air in your fuel then. No, I keep a good air filters on there. So today we're going to go back in there. We're going to turn the flywheel today, go back in with a new clutch assembly. And I'm expecting it to probably still vibrate. But uh, I think the only thing left would be, Bruce, would be that dampener. Because yeah. if there was an internal problem of the engine, wouldn't it just self-destruct after a short time? No, not necessarily. Leroy, is there anything in the tuning or any in the, uh, the fuel management and timing valves on the side of the engine? You mean that would make it vibrate at a certain RPM? Right. I mean, is this thing all stock? Yes, it's all stock. And I mean, I I haven't heard of anything like that. I mean, they obviously didn't put that in there on purpose. Um, so if it is some sort of engine-related issue um, and you want to suspect that it might be, I wouldn't suspect that it's a tune. I would say that it's some sort of information that's getting, like we mentioned earlier in the show, where it's getting an input that's incorrect, uh, such as like a sensor not reading right or something like that. Right. I didn't mean our tune. I meant the, the tune, the factory tune. Um, if you took a look at it through a remote tuner, do you think you might be able to see anything? Well, like I said, I can sort of check on sensor values and things like that and make sure that it is all stock and whatnot. But, I mean, they didn't intentionally ever put anything in there just to do that. Um, what we could maybe try as well is to change some parameters around, um, you know, with like fuel pressure and timing and things like that, EGR valve position and turbo position to see if we can sort of narrow down what's causing the vibration, um, or at least, you know, point you in some sort of direction. Something changed and... Okay, so if you get it back together and you still have it, get it to one of my remote tuners and, and get Leroy or JR to just look at it. Okay. The, 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 the change has come on gradual, Bruce. I could feel it starting to vibrate, and it's uh-huh. come on. And Now, I'm thinking about what you say about the dampener, but, I, but when I park at a weird angle, I could get it to vibrate more. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. So, so it's, the frame would have a little bit of roll to it one way or another. So it, what, could the dampener, could that have something to do with that? No, no, damper wouldn't be affected by the way it's parked, even if the truck was twisted. Okay. Have you checked the fuel pressure on the air dog? If, if no, the air I haven't. Dog, for some reason then it can cause the fuel to cavitate, which could cause some issues. I mean, it's one of those things sometimes when we have an issue like that, we start rolling stuff out. Let's check fuel restriction, fuel pressure, you know, pressure of the air dog. Um, let's eliminate that kind of stuff. If everything's good, then we're no longer worrying about the fuel system and then let's start to look elsewhere. So for what it takes, I would check that. Okay. That, that, does, that, that could be a good point, Pete, because once before, 
in cold weather, it has popped the air dog fuse. And we are in cold weather here, so maybe the air dog fuse has popped and it's not actually running. It's just being a filter head right now. Correct. Yeah, and the cold weather, when the unit goes to kick on, it's drawing a lot of current initially. The fuel stick gets in there and and, and that'll happen. It's just kind of like a... um, circular saw when you hit the button sometimes it'll blow the fuse in the house you can run it all day long on it doesn't blow up when you first kick it on it'll kick fuse off and it's kind of similar you're putting a a greater load initially when you first turn that key on okay i will confirm when i get back out there and turn the key on that it is on and and that i'm not hearing the cummins fuel pump on the side of the engine run and still check the pressure i mean it's it's a mechanical item yeah, maybe it had a failure. To, um, you know, generally they're trouble free, but I would test it with a pressure gauge. <laughs> okay. So, so I rigged up on this thing. I actually rigged up a vent, uh, uh, an open right, just open a valve, and when I change my filters, it just squirts diesel out the side to make it easier to bleed. So I can open that valve and make sure it's still squirting diesel out the side. You know, I just put a put a yeah, bleeder valve after That'll tell us if it's running, but that won't tell us if it's keeping up, because you virtually have no fuel demand at that point. Oh, I mean, okay. that's probably better test than nothing. But the gauge is is really what you need to do is put a gauge on there and see what the pressure is. Any idea what that pressure might be? Might have... I, I don't on the air dog. Um, I know the fastest of the slow generally around 15, 16 PSI, but I, I don't know on the air dog. Okay. I can reach out to that. And I'm sure that they'll be able to answer that for you. Okay. Well, you get the top question of the day, buddy. And, and, and Bruce, I've, I've been to your shop before and, um, and Kevin, you talked about building relationships and, um, a lot of guys broke down. When I call a shop to get my truck in, when I talk to the service manager, first thing I get out my phone, sir, I'm, I need to get my truck in. As soon as I walk in the door, I'll hand you a $100 bill, and I'll hand the mechanic a $100 bill. <laughs> and I do that all the time. I did that uh, just yeah. on this job right here. As soon as Bruce, when I was in your shop a couple years ago, as soon as the mechanic walks up to me, I hand him a $100 bill, and I say, don't take no shortcuts. And if there's two service managers in there, if there's two service managers in there, I hand them each a hundred dollar bill and say, "Sir, I need to get this in as soon as possible. It's a hot load." Wow. And next thing you know, all these other dudes are all like, "What's going on? That guy got in the front of me." <laughs> Building relationships and, and money talks. And, and usually, you, usually, you know who who's been the recipient of these hundred dollar bills. <laughs> It wasn't me. Um, no, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what heck it was, but I know, hey, you know, as a tech, when I worked in a shop, I definitely appreciated tips. Hey, Bruce. Makes a difference. Would, when I was there, I put on somebody's yeah. uniform and wandered around collecting some. <laughs> <laughs> I only got one in 46 years and with a $20 bill. I came in on a Sunday to fix a fuel pump for a guy. Oh, there you go. Yeah. And, 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 and usually when I do this, these guys, they almost always give me their telephone number and say, hey, contact me if you're in my area again with a problem. 
the, and I have, and you get right in front of the line. Yep. So those who are listening, build that relationship. There you go. I was in. Okay. Uh, years ago, I was in the Dodge dealer in Hayes, Kansas. The headlight switch went bad, and I was pulling the snowmobile trailer, and I walked in to hand the mechanic a $20 bill, and I said, go over this truck, and if you see anything, here's my cell phone. He called me. He said, your water pump's leaking. I said, put one on it. There you go. And so that worked. does work. Do you know who yeah, was the first person I learned that from? Kevin was uh, oh, one of those motivational speakers, Kevin Dreyer. So was that his name? Kevin Dyer? Oh, Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer. Wayne Dyer, I think yep. he's passed away. But I think he has. Wayne yeah. Dyer, yeah. Yep. Boy, that's going back. Mm-hmm. Okay, guys. I have, we'll, we'll get this I, I have motivational cassettes if anybody wants to listen to them <laughs> from, from various speakers. But where do you get a set cassette player today? Oh, yeah, exactly. Hey, you know what the common denominator of this of the show today is? What's that? Everyone's been in cold weather. Everyone's in cold weather. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's that global warming. Yeah, we better call <laughs> Al. Yeah. Better call Al Gore. Yeah, let's uh, let's move along. Calls are My- piling up, which is awesome. That's what we're here for. We're going to go to San Diego. Charlie, welcome to the program. Hi guys. Hey Pete. Yes. And and Leroy, I'm on that shutter thing. My six sixty that was just there. When it's idling, the clutch fan will still come on sometimes. Because it stops dead, so you couldn't just have the idle low. Yeah, I don't know what happened. I'm not sure what's going on here. Hey, Charlie? I have no idea what happened. To ch- oh, now the line just dropped. Uh, we'll Sounds like we- you're going to drive. Yeah, that I don't know what happened there. We'll go to Idaho. Brent, welcome to the program. Hi, yeah. Um, I, I, back, back 30 years ago, I had a slug of Volkswagen diesels that as they got tired, um, they would not start with a starter, and I would always have to park them on a hill and roll it down the hill and bump start it. Um, and, and now I'm getting – and they would run fine after that. As long as you parked on a hill, you were okay with them for, you know, another twenty or 30,000 miles. Um, but uh, I'm getting ready to uh, look at rebuilding my D-Deck 4 um, 12.7, and I've, I've always had a problem starting it in the winter. Um, I, own, I have a Maxwell start module on it, and I only get about 15 seconds worth of cranking out of it, and it it will not start. And yesterday it was yesterday was an extreme. It was minus 19, and I was tr- I had it plugged in for oh 30 hours or so, and I was trying to get it started, and I could only get about six seconds of cranking out of it before it just would go ridiculously slow, where I could almost count the RPMs on my fingers. So. When I go to rebuild this, I want to know what I can do to 
what I did with the Volkswagens is bump the compression up and I get more life out of it. So is there something I can do when the, this goes in to be rebuilt that I can bump the compression up so that it'll start mm-hmm. better in the winter time? We haven't talked about the uh, B, is it BX feet or MX? Not the, the BK. The BK, BK, MK, and PK. Do you know which one you have? I sure don't. No, I, no, I don't. Off the top of my head, it's supposed to be the best one for pulling. I mean, I, I talked to a couple of heavy haul guys, and they're like, "Oh, you got the you got the best engine for pulling." So I, but I don't know what that do you, is. Do you have white smoke when it's cold for about five or six minutes when it's idling? When I first start up, I have white smoke that'll fill the neighborhood. So um, you have the NK. You want to you want to convert it to a BK like Burger King. Okay. And put the BK pistons and injectors in it. Okay. Okay, BK pistons and injectors. Yeah. Are you running the max mileage catalyst in that engine? I did when it first came out, um, and and I I saw a, a I saw a minor improvement in fuel mileage, and I don't have any emissions, so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, yeah, but, but it I, keeps I, the I engine. Gone through, I've gone through the fact that it keeps it. And then I stopped using it. Okay. The fact that it keeps the engine so clean, and what would be neat if you were still using it when you take this engine apart, you'd be surprised that uh, there would be no soot in there. Okay. And 12.7s are a bit of a dirty engine to begin with. So even if you don't see something tangible with adding the catalyst, such as fuel economy or power or whatever you might be looking for, we know it's going to be a lot cleaner. And that would be something that if you did oil analysis, that would show up as well. You'd see a lot uh, less soot yeah. in the oil analysis. I did have a high soot issue a few years back, and I called and talked to somebody about it. I have your power box on it, and they asked how many pounds of boost I was pulling, and I I said, well, if I if I put my foot into it, I can pull 46. And they said, well, you should probably keep it under 40 because you'll produce a lot of sick soot over 40. Where'd that come from, Pete? I never heard that. Okay. Well, I mean, he's, he's going to be overfueling. Um, you know, and again, he's obviously making a lot more horsepower. So the more horsepower, the more soot you're going to have. And again, it's just hard on engine running at forty six pounds of boost. Yeah, so I I I mean once in a while it'll sneak up to forty six pounds now, but I don't I don't if I'm climbing I'll I'll try and keep it right around forty. Yeah. By the way, I got an email from a guy with a VW Jetta sport wagon and he was having some issues he put the catalyst in it it's a diesel and uh, he said all the problems are gone and another guy with a chevy Duramax, he's run for several years with a check engine light after one day of running with the catalyst no more check engine light 
uh, the stuff does I work. My, I gave a half gallon to my brother. He's got a blue tech Mercedes, and I don't know how religiously he uses it, but I keep encouraging him. But he he's paranoid that the injectors cost, or not the injectors, but the sensors cost four hundred bucks a piece in those things, or something like that. And he doesn't want to do it. And I'm like, well, if you're not going to use it, give it back to me. I'll use it. Well, see, he's making a mistake now. He's got... Yeah, especially because... Zig Ziglar used to call it... Zig Ziglar used to call it stinking thinking. He's thinking wrong because sensors are affected by soot. And the max mileage fuel-borne catalyst eliminates the soot. So it keeps the sensors working a whole lot longer. And he can get jet A. He can get jet A fuel uh, for free when he works on airplanes, and he has to drain the fuel system. They can't put the fuel back in, so he can get jet A fuel, you know, occasionally for free. And I'm like, well, burn that in your Mercedes, and it's really clean. And he's like, oh, it'll mess up the sensors. And I'm like, well, you do what you want, but I, free fuel is free fuel. Now, I don't think the jet fuel has the lubricity, so you'd want to put the Lucas in there. I would try it with the Lucas and the Catalyst because it's highly refined okay. diesel fuel is what a jet yeah, fuel it is. Yeah, it has the anti-foaming agents in it to keep it from foaming when they're, when they're pumping it. Okay. Okay, so I'll, 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 do, I'll research parts for the BK model and hopefully that'll yeah. that'll help my cold weather start issue and I uh, yesterday I was cursing that Maxwell start module pretty good um, and I, I stuck the torpedo heater on it got the oil hot and everything I had a torpedo heater blowing right on it uh, for probably an hour and a half before um, I got a gear reduction starter on it as well, and that starter did not sound pleasant. It did not like wanting to start that thick oil. So and I'm running 540 synthetic in it, but I, maybe I should be running 530 in the winter. Keep in mind, you have the catalyst. The catalyst, the catalyst ignites 33% faster. And that will help start the engine. Hey, Brent, the other way to think oh, of I this, the, the, the 40 weight, the second number, the weight of the oil, 40 weight or 30 weight, has less to do with starting. That is the weight of the oil all the time. And we, we do need to watch out sometimes putting 30 weight into older engines. We could get a lot of oil consumption. It's not that big of a deal, but you should pay attention to that. And I, and I, what, I did, yeah. A what few makes, years ago, I did run uh, 1030. Yeah, it's, it's thin. And in some of the older engines that you know don't have the new ring designs, you'll use more oil. What's more important for cold starting is the first number. That's your cold viscosity. So you could go to a Z, if you can find them, you, you can go to zero on that first number. That gives you your, your cold starting. Okay. Not, this is a five, it's a 540 amp soil. You know, 540 um, synthetic yeah. is usually pretty darn thin, even when it gets really cold. Or if there's just a problem with his start module. That, that's what it sounds that, like that, to me. The, the I, it, that oil shouldn't be thick. No, and this it, synthetic it, oil, right. I, I can't see it's anything related to that. 
seven months out of the year, I love the start module. But, man, when it gets cold, I hate the start module. Some, yes, yeah, something else is, is going wrong. Really, cold doesn't affect the start module the way it affects a battery. Uh, and that the, if you were using a, you know, a standard 1540 traditional oil, I could see, but a 540 synthetic usually doesn't get thick. Okay. I mean, try it once. Take, take, go buy a quart or a pint or the smallest amount you can get of a standard 1540 and then get your 540 synthetic and stick them outside at night and then pour them, you know, on a really cold morning and watch the difference. It's big. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That'll be an easy experiment this week. Yeah. I, I should be home by Friday, but it'll be an easy experiment to do this week. Yeah. yeah, plenty cold. That seems to be the theme, Bruce. I think you're right. We're going to move along. The calls keep uh, keep piling up on us here. We're going to go to San Diego. Charlie, welcome to the program. Oh, we, oh let me try that again. I put him on and then he bounced back into the queue. Charlie, you there this time? Huh. No idea what is going on with that call. I think that's the one I was struggling with before. Let's go to Mississippi instead. Mark, welcome to the program. Well, I'm almost to Louisiana now. Uh, down there on I-10, it's 71 degrees, so it's pretty warm where I'm at. Yeah, it is. Everything else. So, so yesterday I was talking with Pete, and uh, I sent him an oil sample. Well, he's released my oil samples, and then... Uh, uh, we've had this aluminum issue, and so last week I replaced the turbocharger. I got pictures of it last uh, Friday afternoon, and I sent it to Paul. And Paul's like, uh, didn't you have an aluminum problem? I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's probably it. So I sent it to Pete, and we talked about it. And I guess the point of the call is the fact that, you know, it's uh, Detroit uh, DD13 turbocharger does have aluminum in it, and the oil goes through there, and so we kind of had some, some aluminum showing up, but we really didn't know where it was, so it was the turbocharger. So, uh, it's kind of the, the you know, importance of an oil sample, but we learned something about that there's aluminum in the turbocharger, so. Can y'all still hear me? You can have some, some turbos have the bearings are aluminum. They're, they're only a sleeve. It shouldn't be called a bearing. It should be called a bushing. But some turbos do use aluminum versus brass. Yeah. His compression wheel came apart. He had some dirt ingestion. And there was, oh, okay. Uh, the compressor wheel was rubbing against the housing a little bit as well. And, of course, the wheel was beat up. So I think the uh, – and he was getting some signs of silicon and – uh, sodium in the oil as well. So, yeah, we, you know, it was like, that's really, it was it. It was just, you know, there was aluminum, but it was nothing else. And so, you know, this was over the course of about three oil samples or so. And, uh, and then I had an issue, which I thought was a boost leak a couple of months ago, but it was probably the turbo beginning to get noisy, although they did find a boost leak. The turbo was getting noisy. It just progressively got noisier. And so that was, you know, that's what we found out. So 
That's all I got for today. Nice. It's nice when you find out what the problem was, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, so now for the future, I mean, hopefully this turbo will last, you know, 500,000 miles or so or more or whatever, but it's nice to know that, well, that's what it was. It wasn't anything else. I mean, it was major, but it wasn't that major. It wasn't anything internal in the engine, so right. I'm glad about that. That was a good feeling there. So, all right, good stuff. We're gonna move uh, along. We're gonna head up to BC this time. Murray, welcome to the program. Morning, gentlemen. Long time no talk to, but uh, always good to have a chat. Anyway, there you go. What's on your mind today? A uh, couple of remarks. The fellow, a couple of calls back with the sixty series that used to use the catalyst doesn't anymore. Had a 60 series BK model at 500, and and you would turn the key like we get lots of sub-zero temperature up here across the border, right? And I run 1540 all my years with my 60 series, my mechanical caps, my old Cummins, um, and the 1540 standard mineral oils—they were never a problem. However, and this brings me to my second point. I used to have, or used to drive, when I first started driving a long time ago, um, the fellow I worked for um, had an MTA 350. And if you walked past that thing with an ice cream cone, it wouldn't start. It, it, was, it was so miserable in the winter. So I got busy with my welder one day. I, first thing I did was take my, my Tiger torch and a piece of stovepipe. And I laid that down on the ground in the cold morning and and let it on set the tiger torch aflame and and that flame will go all the way down the pipe and come out the other end so had a flame right underneath my oil pad so i figured i better change that so i built myself i took a welder and i built myself this kind of it was kind of a hut that looked like a little miniature um, buddhist temple you know with the so it had a box with like open spaces on the side and then the roof was kind of shielded a little bit. So the, the flame would go in there and, and would flame out, and then the heat would come out. And I would put that thing, I had a chain hooked onto it, and I'd, I'd slide that thing underneath the truck and put the Tiger Torch to work down really, really low. And within five minutes, I would have a nice warm, like at, at 20 below zero, you could warm up that engine cavity before you ever started the truck. And it worked great. So if you're in serious cold weather and you have cold oil and cold engines, that 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 was a ticket. What is a tiger torch, Bruce? I was going to ask you. You know, too. You, ever, you ever seen what? <laughs> you ever seen you ever seen them in paving crews when they when they seam two edges of pavement together and they get that great big torch with that long uh, flame coming out the end of it? Yeah, now I know what you mean. Two, 200,000 BTU Tiger Torch, yeah. And you got to turn that flame way down because, like I say, that flame will go right down the pipe and come out the other end. <laughs> so, but, you know, and a guy has to be judicial and, and be a little careful about, you know, warming things up that way. But, like I say, there were times I've worked in minus 20, minus 30, minus 40 below and if for whatever reason the truck got shut off or whatever, you plug it in, 
That'll warm up the water, but that might not warm up the oil. Up this part of the world, a lot of guys have both the oil and 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 the engine heaters, but sometimes that's still not enough. But uh, that's that, why you that should here, build a garage. Hey, that's why you should build garages. Oh, I, I like that. Garages, plan, but garages with heated floors. I, I like that plan, but that's kind of hard when you're working and you have to shut down for 10 hours on the other end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I wanted to um, just correct you a little bit there. Bruce, you were saying that jet fuel is highly refined diesel. It's actually acid-washed kerosene. Oh, is that right? Yep. Yep. Well, I can it's, only it's pass all on what I've been... I can only pass on what I've been told years ago, and uh, there was an owner-operator that hauled diesel fuel, and he had several hundred gallon left over, and he wanted to run it in his truck, but he had no place to put it, and we talked about how he was going to store it, and, and he told me that story. But, okay. Yeah, well, that's, that's, one, that's one of the reasons that, that jet fuel lasts so long, because when they, like, um, fuel oil, diesel is a distilled product, not a refined product. So when they distill it, as it goes up the distilling tower, first of all, they take off like the bunker oil and, and then they move to like really bad quality diesel, which might be like pole oil, the kind of stuff they put on, on telephone poles. And, and then it goes to diesel and then they start taking the, the sulfur out. And then as it goes up, it goes to stove oil and then, Stoleville, then kerosene is the last product that comes off. And in order to make that jet fuel, then they acid wash it. Oh, interesting. How do you acid wash it? I have no idea. That, that part, the guy never, I used to haul a lot of jet fuel to the airport here at Vancouver. And, and there was a fellow there that used to work for British Petroleum in the labs. And he was telling me all, he used to educate me all, all kinds of, stuff about jet fuel and how they put lead in but he never told me how they acid wash it like, yeah so if, if you wanted to run it in a diesel engine what would you put in it it won't hurt anything it'll just be really dry and like you i would recommend a lubricant for sure because they've taken out almost all the sulfur okay yeah uh okay and what else was there cool other sorry oh engine fan I'm now driving a 23 Western Star with a DD15, and this truck does not have a manual engine fan override, so I can't kick the switch in. My normal modus operandus and for all my years is when you hit the big hill, you throw the fan on and turn it off when you get to the top. And we have hills here where you can sit at wide open throttle for an hour, um, dragging up some of the hills we have here. But this one doesn't have that for whatever reason and the engine fan you were talking about variable speed engine fans earlier and, and the fan on this one you can hear it start spinning up but only a little about 200 degrees and then a little more at 210 and then a little more at 220 and when it comes on at 220 it'll just it'll vary itself and hold the temperature at 220 until you get up on the hill and and then once you start rolling along on the flat, it'll shut itself off. But, but yeah, it'll it'll warm up and it'll stay there at 220, and it'll just turn the fan up and down as it, as it needs to. So, well, 
not uh, not a fan of this particular truck, but uh, I don't own a bolt in it. I sold my truck in June and tried to capitalize on some of the uh, high high used truck prices. And when things uh, turn around a little bit, then we'll take another run at it. There you go. Okay. So those were the comments I had for you. Got it. Thanks for Thanks the Thanks for correcting me on that, that jet fuel. There you go. I'm glad you told me that. Let's go to... Very interesting. Jet fuel. Iowa. Brandy, welcome. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, Bruce, I have a uh, 2002 Volkswagen Jetta. I also have a gallon of Catalyst. And I think, am I supposed to wait until the tank's empty before I put one cc in it? One cc per gallon? No. No, if you have a quarter okay. tank and, and you hold 10 gallons, put in 7 cc's and fill her up. Okay. So it's a cc per gallon? Is that what you're saying? Cc per gallon. Basically almost the same as one ounce of 25 gallon, but most cars don't hold 25 gallons, so we use right. one cc. So the syringes we have go down to one cc. Yeah, I have one of those. I, I just been thinking, well, when do I ever have my tank empty? And I would never do that. So, uh, right. okay, that's all I have. Thank so, you, it, so, so if you, for the first time, you want to know how many gallon are in your tank and you want to put that many cc's in and top it off. And then the next time you go to buy fuel, if you're going to buy six gallon, you're going to put in six cc's. If you're going to buy 12, you put in 12. And you take a guess, you know, as to what you're going to use. If you've got a quarter tank and you've got a 12-gallon tank, you know you're going to be buying, what, eight gallons or so. All right. Hey, I have, uh, I have two jet fuel stories. Go ahead. One I've told several times we when we used to drain every day when we did the pre-trip on the helicopters, we had to drain out some fuel. You got under the bottom and drained it into a glass jar and you could see water or not. So we had to check that before it flew every time. We're out in the desert in the field. Now you've got this jar full of fuel. You're not allowed to dump it back into the helicopter. So you don't really want to pour it on the ground. Um, so when we'd be out there, we had these heaters that ran off a of diesel fuel. They had carburetors. And I just started telling everybody, hey, just dump your fuel sample into the, the heaters. I said, That'll work. Except one night I woke up, everybody must have been doing it because we almost melted the stovepipe. That thing was glowing red and flames were shooting out the top. I think we got a little too much jet fuel wow. in there. The other one, though, I we had a helicopter. <laughs> I was I was we were out flying and a. Uh, a light came on and it's almost always a sensor, but you still have to land it and you can't fly till you can get that light off. So I had to stay out there with the helicopter. They had to fly back. We were out in Yakima. They had to fly back to, to Fort Lewis to get the part. And when they got back to Fort Lewis, the weather changed and they couldn't fly back out. They got stranded with the weather. And so I had to stay with the helicopter. I was just out in the middle of a field by myself in Yakima and they brought me some supplies. You know, they sent over a truck and brought me some supplies and they gave me a tent and a heater and a case of sea rations. And we hadn't switched MREs yet. And so I've got to put all, I've got to put the tent up. I got to put all this stuff together as I'm getting it done. I look around and I thought, 
I know there were two five-gallon jugs of, of diesel fuel in that truck, and they're nowhere. Nobody took them out of the truck. So I start putting everything together, and I realized they didn't give me a carburetor either. I got a brand new stove, all the parts are there, there's no carburetor. So I get this thing put together, and I'm like, all right, how am I going to make this work? So first I think I don't need diesel fuel. I've got a helicopter full of fuel here. I'm going to burn that. So at first I would just pour a little bit of fuel into the bottom of the heater and light it. And you'd get some heat, but it would go out in about 30 seconds. And so then I'm out in the field. There's cow patties everywhere. I went and packed about the third of the bottom of that heater with cow poop, soaked it with uh, jet fuel, lit it, burnt great. It, it burned like an hour for that. Didn't smell bad either. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. It's a great well, new a lot of grass, right? Cows eat, cows eat grass. Exactly. Yeah. It didn't smell bad. It was. It worked really well. I ended up being out did there for, pick, for three did you pick days. Them up with, oh, wow. Did you pick them up with gloves? No. Why bother? Maybe I did. It might have been cold. It, well, obviously it was cold because I was trying to get my heater going. I don't remember. I may have used gloves, but it wouldn't have bothered me to do it without gloves. All right. Let's yeah, get back to... Oh. No, nobody wants to talk to Kevin now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's go to Iowa. Brian, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin, Bruce, and everyone else. Um, I have a couple of comments and a question. Um, one comment to Kevin. Um, I started using the OPS system a few years back. Heard it from you. So uh, I asked all the mechanics in the area what they thought of the, of the system, and every single person I ever talked to said, I will wreck the motor. It's junk. <laughs> Don't do it. you got to be kidding me. These are real mechanics. Like, people who work on trucks yep. every day tell you that. Makes for a dirty motor. They, they that said. is so sad. Bruce, what do you think of that statement? Makes for a dirty motor. Nothing could be farther from the truth. No, it's the exact understand. opposite. Yeah, they, they don't understand what 1 to 3 micron versus 40 micron is. You know, when you polish the oil down to one to three microns and the thickness of the film of the oil in a rod and main bearing going up a hill is a half a micron but a full flow oil filter uh, they can be as large as 40 micron and a young person can actually see 40 micron dirt yeah yeah so um brian yep, was it was it the fact that they were just so afraid of exceeding those oil change miles that's why they think it's just going to get dirty because we're going to run our oil longer yeah I, I believe that's what it was uh, yeah, well i guess what they don't understand is it's a filter filters keep things clean they don't make them dirty and we check to make sure so, uh, it's not dirty. Yeah. That's why we do oil samples. You know, I, well, I, I, have haven't, proof of it. I haven't said this in a long time, but one of the things when people used to say this, um, you know, I, I, I used to ask them, if, if you don't think that this method, using this filter and oil sampling is a good program, tell me when you change your oil and why. 
And, you know, before all these newer engines with the extended drains, which they do with bypass filtration, by the way, um, before that, people would always say, well, we change it at 15,000 miles. And I would say, why? Uh, well, it's dirty. Oh, then it's already done damage. Maybe you should have changed it sooner. Well, no, it's not yeah. dirty. That's why we change. Oh, well, then you threw away good oil. So why? It, that's a horrible system to use this random number when to change your oil. You don't know if it's too dirty, it's already done damage, or if it's not dirty and you're throwing away good oil. But if we use a good filtration system and we sample, then we know when the oil needs to come out of the engine. And we're not just guessing. I agree with that. Uh, I have proof of it, too. I, I talked to Bruce in the past about his catalyst, too. That's the second comment I have. Uh, I'm Brian from Wisconsin, and and if you get a flat tire, Bruce will ask you if you're using the catalyst. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know. I don't. I don't know if you remember the conversation we had, Bruce. But uh, the mechanic called me four times to tell me how beautiful the exhaust looked, how great the bearings were on the bottom end, and. Uh, he couldn't believe it with 925,000 miles on it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember that. We, we hear that a couple times a month, mechanical tear into a, whether it's an EGR system or pull a head off and, or pull an exhaust pipe off an older truck and say, there's no, there's no soot. There's no carbon. I've actually had them go into the driver's lounge and call the driver and say, there's a problem with your emission system. And the guy will say, what's that? And I'll say, well, there's no soot in it. It's too clean. And they'll say, oh, it's because I used the max mileage catalyst. And then they want to know all about it. Oh, yeah. So that leads me to my question. Um, you said after I get an in-frame, you want to get that oil out of there as fast as you can. I got it out at 5,000 miles. I, I did the oil change. When do you recommend the next oil change? Because I, I want to get back on extended oil drains and doing samples. I would do a, another 10,000 and do a change and then go into your extended. Okay. That works okay. for me. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Okay. Kevin, I have to leave. I have to get to a meeting. So I'm going to let Pete and Leroy go my shoes, okay? Got it. I think we've, uh, we've got one call left on the board, so we might be just about done for today anyway. Good stuff um, today. Okay, Thanks. I'll wait. Okay. Let's, uh, we'll grab it real quick. Uh, Voitech, looks like you get the final word today. What's on your mind? Well, uh, interesting story about the helicopter breakdown and your uh, inventive uh, fuel solution. That reminds me of stories I grew up hearing from my grandma that got to uh, go for a free, all expenses paid, six-year vacation in Siberia um, during the war. Oh, man. And that's all they had to do. Uh, to that that's the only fuel source they had in the winter is dried cow patties. So yeah, it they had to, that was her job. She had to go out there and collect them. And uh, that's the only source of fuel they had. 
it'll even burn without adding something to it. There's so much grass and oh, absolutely, and, yeah, yeah. But pour a little uh, aviation fuel on it; it really does well. <laughs> um, well, I heard somebody talking about their uh, start module. I used to have one in a 2000 Volvo. I ran it for a couple of years until it melted itself. Uh, the negative terminal, the the stud and the, the and the the cable connector welded together. I couldn't get it off, and I don't know. I think it might have fried a computer, or did something that I had to tow the truck, and I was never able to figure out what happened. I took the module out, put regular batteries in, and after a while, it worked. That truck is parked at the moment, so it's not. I, I haven't figured out why it happened or what the problem was but when i put regular batteries in it it just starts right up um so hmm. not you know, sure what that is i tried getting it replaced but then musk bought the company yeah. and they're no longer that, taking calls that was the shame you know the product was starting to catch on it was reasonably priced it worked well it, it you know we could have kept improving it over time and now it's just gone and and i keep you know, kind of messaging yeah. back and forth with this Skellstart company from Germany, but um, I, I still don't think there's, I, I think I may have found one distributor here in the United States. I have to follow up with them. I, I like the idea and the technology. We just need a good, reasonably priced product for the truck and and some support. Right. When something does go wrong, we need some support. Yeah, I wish there was a shop that was competent that could... Um be a representative in the States, it, somebody with uh, engineering knowledge and uh, knowledge of electrical systems in, the, in commercial yeah. trucks. You know anybody like that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what's surprising nope. to me? Le Leroy, you would probably know this. The, the start modules, this isn't very complicated technology, is it? I mean, I think I've seen people build these things in their garage. Yeah, no, it's a pretty simple concept. So there's really not a whole lot to it. I, I, it seems to me like we should be able to fix these things where, I don't know, or make one. Maybe. Well, make no one. sense to reinventing the wheel. I mean, it already exists. Well, sort of. I mean, if I wanted to get a good start module for a truck today, I can't get one. It doesn't really exist anymore. I just have to... Make more phone calls, Bruce. You have an empty. I've been all over the place. Mm -hmm. There weren't many empty rooms, but you have an empty room. We can start building start modules in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? Can't you buy that building next door? No. We did. That's where we have our uh, build the OPS. No, that's across the street. The one that's where the one next door. Yeah. Oh, no, that, uh, I wanted to buy that years ago and start building radiators, but our local rad guy got cold feet on me, or we would have owned that, and you could have ordered a custom radiator and watched it being built. Yeah. Or, or a custom start I, module. I wasn't going to, yeah, well. I know, I know. All right. Wojtek, what else you got? Ah, I think that's going to do it for me for today. All right. 
That'll work. I'll have more stuff for you later. I need to talk to Joel on Friday. Good. Good. There you go. I don't know if we've talked to him yet. Uh, I'm good for Friday's show. I haven't heard from Joel or John yet. We'll uh, we'll check on that. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Anybody have anything they want to close with? Hey, David, any, any more follow-up on that uh, engine case we talked about we're dealing with? No, I haven't heard a word on it. Yeah, I would ignore them. You know, it, it, I, I think you yeah. had the right approach to this. You were willing to talk to them. You even said if it turned out it was your filter, you'd pay for the engine. Um, they just handled mm-hmm. this completely wrong. I mean, everything they did was wrong, yeah. and, and that's the biggest problem here. I know, it's hard to believe you got a filter and had it for four or five years in there, and all of a sudden you have a problem. So. Right, and you have no oil samples except this last one, and um, you, you do the work and then come looking for the money. I mean, that's just not the way you handle something like this. No. I, I do have one thing I want to add today. All right, go ahead. The FA-6127, the FA that's for the new T680 and okay. the T579. That's, I think it's the twenty one, twenty two. Um, that filter we redesigned it has a slot in it now. So if people order it, they need to make sure and and let us know if it's the old one or the new style. Okay, we need to Got know it. that. We have we haven't really figured out a way to distinguish it yet, but I mean we're just going by year model basically is all we're doing. So yeah, okay. All right, uh, uh, we're going to wrap this up. Thanks, uh, David and the team from Pittsburgh Power. Great calls today. We'll do it again next week. I will see you back here tomorrow. I have a uh, an inter- interesting returning guest. Uh, he's kind of notorious. He was even called out by the president as one of the misinformation dozen. Um, you can go look this guy up. The government's been all over him. He's got deleted off Twitter and um, great, really great guy, chiropractor um, Ben Tapper uh, is who we'll have on tomorrow. Um, We'll be talking about all kinds of crazy stuff. You don't want to miss that. Uh, Thursday, it seems like I might have somebody on Thursday too. I can't remember who. And then I'll check on Friday and see what we've got going on for Friday. We will have a show on Friday, just not sure who's going to be with me yet. We will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.